highest symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. Boy, take a look back at 1987. What a tremendous year it has been. By the way, Happy New Year, everybody. Boston Garden, we're going to be back kicking off 1988, Saturday night, January the 9th, with an 8 o'clock start. Maybe we can reflect on a few things with the world champion, Hulk Hogan, on a few things that happened in 1987. But I know right now, the champ has got to be concentrating on the new year Whoa. and his big title oh, yes, defense. Sir. Am I right, Hulk Hogan, or am I right? I got it down, brother. All right, the champ is going to be in town on January the 9th, taking a look at what happened this year with WrestleMania and, of course, so many things, that record-breaking crowd, and you've really polished off the year in fine fashion. 1988 starts off with challenger ravishing Rick Rude. You see that right there, brother? That's Rick Rude, man. That's Rick Rude right there. If you go back to 1987 and you think about WrestleMania, when I slammed, pressed over my head, 565 pounds and beat Andre the Giant. That's what you look like, Rick Rude. When you look back at Saturday night's main events and see how I fought King Kong Bundy tooth and nail, that's you right there, Rick Rude. Not that you're a threat, brother. Not that you're not a worthy number one contender. But I'm used to jumping on top of mountains, man. I'm used to jumping against the odds. And I'm used to winning, man. That's why I've been hanging and banging at the world's gym in Somerville. That's why I've been taking advantage of every situation. Every time I get a chance to sneak in and hang and bang and do a little extra ab work, brother, with one of the good-looking ladies around the gym, I steal her psych. But one thing, Rick Rude, before I beat you up in the Boston Gardens, I'm going to see if I can get you to pose down with me, brother. Oh. Yeah. No, I just want to show him one thing. I want to show him that this 24-inch python, the largest arm in the world, is as big as his legs. And if by some chance, Rick Rude, you forget to wear those long, skinny pantyhose to the ring, those tights you call them, I may just snap your legs in half instead of your arms. Oh, my. Get ready, Rick Rude. Get ready. Here on January 9th. Welcome to the 24-inch podcast, episode 16. We told you last week, and I'm sure there were doubters. I'm sure there were haters who said, I don't believe it. They won't be back next week. But here we are, episode 16, coming to you from Buffalo, New York. My name is Steve Bennett. Paula Bennett uh, will join us as well later. But first, I have to introduce you to my partner. He was handpicked by me. For this project, I said I need a partner who knows the career of Hulk Hogan, who loves rock and roll, who's Italian, who has things in common with me that I think we can have a chemistry with. 
and I put it all into a complicated algorithm and the thing started beeping and the picture of my friend in Kearney, New Jersey, Dave Rollins came up. What's up, Dave? How you doing tonight, brother? What's up? I mean, uh, I'm doing great tonight, man. Thank you for those kind words. Likewise to you. I feel the same way. It's almost like, you know, we were put here for a reason to defend Hulkamania, to talk about the old days of the WWF, some 80s and 90s news. Nothing better to talk about than, than shit like that, in my opinion. So I'm great. A lot of good stuff coming my way. I got um, uh, the Motley Crue cover band, friends of mine from Long Island. I set them up with the bar slash club down the street uh, a couple of years ago, and they're coming to play their third show, first since the pandemic. And that's going to be great. That's a Saturday night. And then the big Guns N' Roses show at MetLife uh, next Thursday. I took a couple of days off work around that, some of my vacation days. So it's all good, my man. Awesome, awesome. Well, we talk mostly about wrestling from the 80s and 90s on this show. But I did notice, Dave, on my Twitter feed, I woke up a couple of weeks ago on a Monday. And I wanted to mention this last week, but we just were too busy. We had too much too much other things to talk about with Calvin and Orndorff and catching up on our summer break and all that. But I did notice a video that John Cena made a surprise return in the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. And I'm going to admit this, and I'm going to admit it probably. I love John Cena. I think he is an absolutely fantastic professional wrestler. And he's a true star of the business. And I know we've talked about this before, Dave, that at some point the WWF decided that they were going to make the company the star. Uh, they weren't going to make yes. the, they weren't going to have star announcers anymore like Bobby Heenan or Gorilla Monsoon or Jim Ross. They weren't going to allow star announcers like Fink or that uh, who's that one jabroni they booted out of there for being too excited about his job. Justin Roberts, Mel I think his name oh, is. I was going to say Mel Phillips. Yes, Mel Phillips <laughs> as well. Uh, and uh, they really have tried to make the the brand the star. You know, they sell WrestleMania now, not with the main event of the Mania, but the fact that it's WrestleMania. Yeah, you used, used to drive by Route Three here in New Jersey, and on the in the Meadowlands on a billboard, it would say Hulk Hogan and WWF real small underneath, coming August tenth or whatever. Now you just see WWE with that dorky looking logo universe but i do That's think it. i do think that john cena is kind of the last star you know i last. think i think he transcends that decision and oh without a doubt he he proved it after being away for a while you know he came back he absolutely tore the roof off the place not just on sunday but then again at raw on monday uh and when you're watching him and and probably more so on Monday, uh, when I watched Paul and I watched the uh, the start of Raw to see Cena, it feels like an Attitude Era Raw, you know, where the show would start with the glass breaking, you know, or the Rock yeah, so, or whatever. Something important's happening. To yeah, kick off the show that way. When his music hit, there's just an energy, and you know, I think there was a point, and I got lucky being out for a while that when I came back. I wasn't burned out on Cena like a lot of the fans were. So I really enjoyed his work. And, you know, when he, like, did a three-match feud with Kevin Owens, I was all for Cena. You know, I remember this one pay-per-view I watched, and he's fighting Owens, and he tapped Owens out. It was 
so sick. Like, I was so pumped. Such a great moment. One of the few moments that I actually remember from when I started watching again for a little bit after WrestleMania 30. But now I think having him be away, the fans have now realized his greatness. You know, and even he had mentioned, you know, I'm used to being booed. You know, there was a sign instead of Cena wins, we riot. It said if Cena comes back, we cheer or something like that. You know, I think the fans of the WWF have realized, first of all, how great this guy is. And second of all, um, how important having a star like that is. And I'm going to let you respond in a second, Dave. I just want to say one more thing about it. There's only one problem. And I know that someone like John, who loves the business so much and is coming back sort of as an attraction, they have to be careful that every time he comes back, it's not the same exact thing where he comes back, cuts all these great promos, and then just jobs the match out. You know what I mean? I have no problem with Roman Reigns getting the best of Cena in the long run. Uh, But if he's just going to come back, lose, be gone for a year, come back, lose... That's not going to work. That there's a small shelf life for that. You know, even when Rock came back, he lost a match or won a match against Cena and lost a match. You know, I think there's importance to and I'm and it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Are they going to want to just use him to look up at the lights every time? Um and maybe in their own mind sort of try to beat down that that star power a little bit or will they give him an opportunity to still be a a great attraction. He's not. What I'm saying is, if he's an attraction now at this stage of his career, and he is, the attraction just can't lose every match. You know, at some point, they got to give him a win here or there. That's my opinion about the whole thing. We're beginning to add Dave, and I'll let you respond. Go ahead, buddy. Yeah. Thanks. I think the attraction should win more than they should lose. That's what makes them the attraction. Hell yeah. And what what, what wrestling does now, they cater to the quote unquote marks, marks, whatever. And he, he, I wouldn't be surprised if they have him looking up, looking up at the lights because the people that complained about Hogan beating Shawn Michaels in 05, Randy Orton in 06, they, it's the same thing. They'll complain if Cena wins, even though all eyes are on that match. If you beat him, you can't have him, you know, maybe have him back one more time and then no eyes will be on it anymore. You know, you, you know what I'm saying? This is, it's just insane how they cater to this kind of fan. But wrestling, the WWE... Uh, definitely AEW, and that's without question. But wrestling as a whole has been doing that for the better part of a decade now, and I'll, I'll just never understand it. Uh, and I, you know, I never will understand it. And Cena, man, when they started booing him and everything, like, listen, if you if your dad's cheering for the bad guys, if you got an older brother cheering for the bad guys, you know, it's cool. A couple people here and there, but then when everybody starts doing it, and it's not just a one-off thing maybe in Philly or somewhere, when it's every night, everywhere, people just play and follow the leader. Now you're ruining, ruining the show. It's like going to a Broadway play and razzing the whole thing. Like, okay, now, you know what I mean? Like, you don't like our star, don't come to the show. You're ruining it now. Like, it's cool once in a while. Like, maybe you know, maybe this guy should turn heel, the fans don't like him. Or like with Hogan, kind of, in 96. Sure, sure. It was for a time. But this Cena thing went on and on and on. It's like, all right, already. He that, was that's great. I... He was great at responding to it, though. You know, almost uniquely. Um, Indeed, he was really good at y- using the energy for the for the good, no matter what the energy was. He was really talented about that, and he very talented. And I think he made up for it. I don't know if it, I, th- I want to say it was 2015 
was the year, and and it was really strong. The hate and the energy towards that, and he had the he was the wrestler of the year. You know, he was just amazing. You mentioned that you know the fans are are cheering him now. Yeah, and that you know that is true. But if he does go over Roman at SummerSlam, I bet you the next night on Raw. Oh, I don't know. They're saying Cena sucks because Roman they like him. The Smarks like him as the the heel. You know, the heel character because Heyman's with him. Right. I don't know, and, though. Uh, I think this is a really great opportunity to really make Roman by letting Cena get a win here and running this program longer. You know what I mean? And I agree. And eventually get it. And fine, Roman gets his win back. No problem at all for me. But, um, and, you know, I know there is kind of this age old tradition in the business that you want to go, you want to go out looking at the lights, you know. Uh, you want to do the favors. You want to put a guy over, uh, and that's fine. And I'm again, I'm all for that. But I just feel like with Cena, they're already into this kind of into this kind of groove where he's going to come back, pop a number, pop a crowd, take an owl, and be gone for a year. And I just don't know that that works for that 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 long. You know, um, you might always get the the initial pop, the excitement to be back. But I don't know if the draw will be there. Everyone's just gonna be like, "Yeah, well, he's just here to to lose to this star of the moment," you know. Um, but I think they have a, a a unique chance in wrestling in 2021 to have a really great true main event at SummerSlam, you know. And I think it's been a while. I think Roman is good enough, and like you said, over enough with the crowd and Heyman involved and Cena that that's something I'm gonna have to watch that that night. You know, it feels big to me and that's not something i've said in a long time but it'll be interesting to see see if they can keep that up uh, i just wanted to mention real quick dave any thoughts on this uh cm punk returned i believe tonight too did he not in AEW? He did. Well, no not tonight there's, only, there's okay. only a rumor that that he assigned with them i mean i don't have the show oh, okay on, so i, I thought i had heard he, be... he came, i thought i read on twitter earlier he came out tonight uh no i mean unless something happened just now or we're not watching or doing the podcast it's only it's a rumor right now. Him and uh, Daniel Bryan is uh, heavily rumored to be going over there. And, um, I, you know, I like CM Punk. I think he cuts awesome promos for, for a modern wrestler. There's nobody like him. But just what turns me off to him is the fan base that likes him. And I don't need to get all into that shit again. I just, because everybody knows my feelings on that kind of fan base. But um, I think what AEW should do is they should bring him in and use his mic skills to their advantage and have him... You know, put down the Young Bucks, put down Kenny Omega and Tony Khan and have the, these because these fans, their heart is so into it. And they're, they're so um, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? You can't say anything anti AEW. They will cry. You know, they will literally cry and attack you. Probably not physically, even though they say they would. <laughs> but Dave, but um, what I read was a wrestler named Darby Allen. I don't know who that is. Uh, the guy with the skateboard. He mentioned them on the show or teased them. That's what I had read. OK. So. Yeah, well, I think if he, if this stuff happens, it's kind of looking that way. I think CM Punk should be a, a heel anti-AEW to rile these geeks up in the crowd. Get them going. Get something serious going. Have the AEW, uh, Punk, sorry, CM Punk kind of created this kind of fan in a way. This heavy, heavy, smart, Meltzer-type fans that is the big AEW audience. They're sensitive. That's, I don't know why I couldn't think of the word sensitive. The fans are very sensitive. You can't say anything anti-AEW online or you, you, they'll just they'll go after former professional wrestlers they'll go after Eric Bischoff they'll go after Jim Cornette they'll go after anybody they'll go after Dave Rowland Steve Bennett 
um, if they make Punk anti-AEW and rile up all these nerds, that's going to make for some good TV. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I'm not really that interested in it either way. Um, best of luck to Punk. Um, I've seen him wrestle live one time. It's kind of a cool story. I was a really big roller hockey player from, say, about 25 to 35 or so. And there's a, a rink in Buffalo called the um, the Pepsi Center. It's a four-pad rink, and every summer they take the ice out of one of them put a roller hockey rink in. And I would play in this league there. And I was good friends with the guy who ran the league, and he's like, hey, man, uh, I know you like wrestling. Um, two weeks from now, we, we're not going to have games because they're holding a wrestling event here called Ring of Honor. Do you know what that is? And I was like, yeah, I've definitely heard of it. I'm like, I don't watch it really, but I've definitely heard of Ring of Honor. I know what it is. And he's like, yeah, you know, if you want to come up that day, you know, you can just walk in with me to the office or whatever. We can walk around, fuck around, check it out. So I called my buddy and he's like, you got to you got to check out CM Punk. You know, he's like the best guy they have or whatever. Um, so I seen him wrestle that night and I was like, meh. <laughs> but um, overrated. Yeah, whatever. I I'm did, not on the mic. I'm I did mic. enjoy that match that he had with Cena. Um, Great angle all around. I did enjoy that match. Uh, Dave, one last thing I want to do before we get into the show. We'll talk about what we're going to do tonight in a minute. And we'll get into that. I want to go over the catalog. One thing I don't do very often, Dave, is look at stats. Uh, I always feel like with the sportscasters and now with this show that I do it for me. Uh, you know, I do the sportscasters for myself and I do the 24-inch podcast for us. You know, that as long as we're doing it, we're having fun. I'm not really worried about whether one or 1,000 or 1 million people are listening. You know, uh, well, I'm, thank not, you for that. I'm not in a position right now to take anyone's money regardless uh, and I wouldn't do it because of my health. Um, so I don't get into that often. But All right, you get, I, I won't be offended with cash. <laughs> go ahead. We were uh, – I was in the, the front end or the back end, I guess, of my SoundCloud page. And I did notice um, some numbers. And one thing I noticed is that every week it seems like people are going back to the beginning and catching up with us. So I really appreciate that. Uh, and because of that, Dave, I just want to go over the first 15 episodes real quick. I'll say what we covered. I'll remind us of it. And you just give me a sentence or two what you remember about that show. Sounds like fun. All right. We started the uh, pilot December 4th, 2020, episode one. We did uh, WrestleMania 2 and Hulk's match against King Kong Bundy. All right. Well, I remember uh, being my first ever, 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 ever podcast. And trying to have things memorized in my head, not just bullshit with you like like we've come to do now, having a million pages of notes. I remember saying something about, I'm so excited, I'm going to body slam Conrad Thompson. I did like that part about it. <laughs> uh, the second episode, December 13th, uh, 2020, we looked at Hulk's 86 to 87 feud uh, with Kamala. And uh, I believe this was the first episode where we read the news. Uh, we didn't do it the first episode, but I believe we did uh, starting with the second. Uh, so what do you remember about uh, the Kamala episode? Yeah, I, I don't recall. I, it was something I personally I remember. My dad went in the hospital either that day That's or right, right around that time. Yeah, you know, he's, do, he's doing very good now, you know, as good as he can for a 78-year-old man. But yeah, that's what I remember about it. Uh, episode three, we covered the Iron Sheik 
and the start of Hulkamania. His uh, his match in 1984, winning the belt against the Sheik. I remember playing this one for my brother uh, when he was home that week for Christmas and New Year's, and um, him really enjoying it and saying, "I think you got something here." Um, what do you remember about the Sheiky Baby Pod? Yeah, this was uh, one of the few ones that we did in the afternoon, uh, not in the evening. I remember Paula being involved. I, I'm not sure if she was involved with the first two, but she was definitely with us on this on this episode. And I think I was getting my feet on the ground a little bit, a little better uh, with this episode. Episode four was January 12th of 2021, and we covered the big boss man and uh, his 1989 steel cage match against Hulk. And I do remember that this one was a request uh, of our friend Calvin Crowell. Yeah, I remember that part about it. Uh, besides that, uh, don't, I, we, I remember going over the history of uh, syndicated or wrestling on television. Okay. Hitting that. Okay. Uh, episode 5 was January 26th, and we did our first Royal Rumble, uh, given it was Royal Rumble season per se. We did the 1991 Rumble, which was the second one that Hulk won. Yes, sir. Uh, I definitely have my feet on the ground for this one. I think this was the first one that we really looked back after we, you know, listened to it and said, okay, this, this is our formula now. You know, we got it down. This is how we're going to do the show. Uh, February 12th, episode six, the war to settle the score. Uh, this is one of my, th- these next two are some of my favorites that we've done so far, but I really enjoyed the war to settle the score uh, and Hulk's victory over Roddy Piper. Yeah, I remember you going on Twitter uh, shortly after putting me over, putting the podcast over. It was very nice of you. I'd like to thank you again. And everybody keep in mind, we did the war war to settle a score. The brawl to end it all may be coming up shortly. Yeah, hell yeah. Um, episode 7, February 26th, Dr. D, David Schultz. Another one of my favorites. I love doing this one. Uh, we got into the... Uh, this was one of our first ones that we really kind of got into more than the match, more than the feud. You know, we broke down the 2020 and the backstory there with uh, John Stossel. Um, so I really like this one a lot, too. Yeah, I believe this is our most listened to uh, highest rated yep. episode uh, coming from you, Steve. Yep. And uh, yeah, I, I really love this one. Um, I've listened, I think I might have listened to this one a couple times. I don't, there's not too many. You know, so, so we kind of got into the wrestling podcast a little late in the games. There's so many wrestling podcasts, independent ones, regular ones, whatever you want to say. But I never heard of this covered much. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, March 13th, episode 8, Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff. Uh, my favorite uh, cage match of all time. Uh, we talked about it here. Well, let me say very timely, uh, talking about this episode now, we actually covered two Saturday Night's main events in one. Correct. On this show, October 86 and January 87, of course. And another one uh, we record during the day. Uh, episode 9, WrestleMania 8 and Hulk's mattresses. Sid, in March and April, we did two WrestleManias. Um, and what I remember most is just kind of deciding which ones we were going to do. We kind of knew for sure we weren't going to burn three or five um but we kind of landed on eight and we'll talk about the other one we picked out but yeah i like this one too yeah i remember this is when uh, our friend tim really came on board with the show he was psyched up about uh our talk about sid and softball 
and all that kind of fun <laughs> stuff. And uh, you know, I got a lot of Sid memes from Tim after this. So, yeah, it was kind of the birth of Tim. April 13th, our 10th episode. We went big. We went bold. And we went WrestleMania 18. Hogan versus The Rock from Toronto. Um, and, uh, yeah. What do you think about yeah, this, this one? one? This one, uh, you a little bit more than me, but me also. I think we had a little trouble uh, watching this show. This is when the WrestleMania yeah. started to get a little long, a little, you know, we were into Hogan and The Rock, of course, into a lot of stuff on the show, but some stuff maybe not. It's just not our, our time anymore. You know, it's kind of hitting that middle phase before it really went down to the ground or not interested at all. Still interested, but just not like it was 1989 anymore. Uh, May 5th, episode 11, Mr. Perfect. Uh, we did a... Uh... A Saturday night's main event from April of 1990 to do Mr. Perfect. Yeah, this was a Kevin Hogan request. Kevin Hogan. I love Kevin. What's up, Kevin? Man. Episode 12 was on May 21st. And I remember saying to you, Dave, it's time to get the Macho Man involved. We're going to do a lot of Macho Man episodes. Uh, Let's go back to 85 and uh, his work with Hogan and MSG. And that's what we did here. We did Macho Man Hogan from the 85 MSG house show. So off the top of my head, I'm, this might be my favorite 24-inch podcast that we've done. I enjoyed this one. This was the first one we did after the SI article came out uh, about the sportscasters. So I remember that, okay. talking about that. Um, but, yeah, I like this one, too. We got a lot of Macho Man coming yet, too. So I'm looking forward to that. Also, we have a Macho Man potentially next, next show. Next time. We'll see what we announce. We're going to announce the next show uh, later. We'll see what we, we come mm-hmm. up with. Mm-hmm. All right, June 4th, episode 13, Survivor Series 1987. Another fun one. Uh, I remember this like, uh, like, well, not like it was yesterday, but I remember it very well this certain Thanksgiving, and we talk all about it on the show, our th- how our days went way back in 1987. June 26th, we took a risk. We did episode 14. We covered Boris Zukov, and the, the, the idea was, I said to Dave, What's a match that Hulk Hogan wrestled on TV? And then, I, and then we realized we have a chart with all the years. We had a gap in this year. So I said, all right, what about this year? And Dave zoned in on this, this Boris Zukov match. And, and I think we did a really smart thing by focusing not on the superstars, but on the uh, primetime to get primetime involved as well. You can't have a, a wrestling podcast that says 80s in the name. And not do a primetime wrestling, Gorilla sure. and Bobby. And then uh, episode 15, just last week, we covered the 1996 Bash at the Beach. And we'll talk more about that one, Dave, uh, when we read emails. Because we do have some leftover questions on that one. Okay. All right, on today's show, episode 16. Oh, by the way, I should say real quick, if you're interested in listening uh, to any of these episodes in our catalog, go to our SoundCloud page. It's soundcloud.com slash sports casters. If you want, go to podfollow.com, type in the sportscasters, and you'll see a list of our episodes. And if you click on them from there, it'll take you right to your preferred podcasting app, uh, which is what I really like about Podfollow. So if you're on Apple and you click on it, it'll take you to the Apple app, uh, podcast app. If you're on, on Android, it might take you to Stitcher or to um, Google Podcast or to Spotify, whatever you use over there. So I really like that app. Um, on today's show, Dave, what are we doing? We're doing the man from Robbinsdale, Minnesota, ravishing Rick Rude, the sexiest man alive, according to possibly your wife, even Seeks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Paula, 
you know, I, 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 when he first started, when we first started watching together, and we watched our first rude match, and he's doing his own thing. I just got into it with her. I'm like, oh no, let's make sure mommy doesn't see this. You know, I don't want this guy stealing my wife, and she's so into it. Like she's yeah. so, if she sees him, she goes, oh no, no, dad, get Tammy out of here. Like she's so into it. But uh, and a very rare look at his only televised match uh, with Hulk Hogan. And the WWF Championship is online. It's the tail end of the first big Hulkamania title run in the WWF. It's from the Boston Garden, Beantown. First time, Steve. Yeah. We're heading into Boston. Yeah, I uh, was scrolling Instagram one day, and I saw some highlights of this on, like, an 80s wrestling Instagram page. And I just tagged David and said, maybe we should think about this one. And here we are. So uh, I'm excited. Uh, let's do it. You ready? Ready to rock. All right, let's take a break. We'll be right back. Rick Rude. We're going to read his bio. We're also going to do a bio on the Boston Garden. One of our new favorite things on the 24-inch podcast is to talk a little bit about the venues. Uh, and, of course, Dave will shine in his segment, Where's Hulk? So let's take a break and let's do it. Thank you for listening to the 24-Inch Podcast. Don't forget to check out my other podcast, The Sportscasters, 10 Years in the Making. You can find it on Twitter, at sports underscore caster, or download episodes wherever you found this podcast. You can find the 24-Inch Podcast on Twitter as well. We're at the number two, the number four, the word inch podcast, at 24-Inch Podcast. Email us at 24inchpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget about our friend Peter Winson and greeting from Allentown. It's at GF Allentown Pod. Twenty-four inch podcast episode sixteen. Steve Bennett, Dave Rollins. We are back, and we're talking about Hulk Hogan and his match at the Boston Garden in January of nineteen eighty-eight against. The ravishing one, Rick Rude, Richard Irwin Rude, R-O-O-D, not R-U-D. He was born on December 7th, 1958 uh, in St. Peter, Minnesota. Uh, And tragically, we lost him on April 20th, 1999 at age 40. And he was in Georgia when he passed away of an accidental overdose. And Dave, I remember... That it hadn't been that long ago uh, when I had seen Rick Rude at an ECW event. And then I remember that where we seen them, uh, where they would come in Buffalo, is this place called the Burt Flickinger Center. And um, it was a really great world-class venue that was built when Buffalo hosted the World University Games in the 1990s. Uh, and it's this beautiful, beautiful building that has a really great world-class swimming pool in it olympic-sized swimming pool uh, and, and ecw ran there and um where they would come out where they would set up the uh the um, entrance we would get our seats by there a lot we would sit over there a lot i mean it, for the most part you just bought seats and sat wherever in the place there was like some assigned seats by the ring and that but pretty much everything in the bleachers was just you know like bleacher seat and you go find your sure. spot and we, yeah, and we would go over there over by that a lot. And the one time we were standing over there, we were a little bit early 
um, and we were standing over by there, and Rick Rude was just chilling by himself. He had a suit on, and me and my buddies were talking to him for 10 minutes maybe, uh, just the four of us. Awesome. Me, me, my two buddies, and Rick Rude, and it was real chill. Like We were just talking. He was asking us about what we were doing after the show. You know, where people go. We were telling him, like, oh, you're really close to Chippewa, which is, like, where our big party scene is. He wanted to know where your girlfriends were. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah, we were talking to him about, like, going out and shit, what's fun to do in Buffalo. He was asking where you get chicken wings, you know. So I was asking him about the Mall of America because I knew he was from Minnesota. Steve, that's so amazing because Rick Rude is one of those guys just like Mr. Perfect and the big boss man who never made the conventions. So nobody really has stories like you do about, right. about talking to Rick. Because in the 80s and 90s, that was few and far between. It wasn't until you got into the 2000s a little bit that we really started getting get near these guys and well, talk to them. And, stuff. and that was one of the great things about ECW um, was that building that they ran here was so intimate. You know, you know, I think I told the story before. One day I'm on the payphone. I had to call my mom and let her know to leave the door open for me that night because I was going to be home late. And I look over at the payphone next to me, and New Jack was standing there, <laughs> bitching at some baby mama of his. Uh, and, uh, you know, I had the thing with uh, Rude. We saw Heyman one night. We saw Taz uh, one night talking to the girl that was selling his T-shirts and getting that all set up. Like, they were, they were just in the place. You know what I mean? In there with you. You know what I mean? Like, it was just so cool. But um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wanted to start, share that story about Rude, who I said was born in St. Peter, Minnesota, uh, to Richard Rude and Sally Jean Thompson. He attended Robbinsdale High School in Robbinsdale, before, I wanted Minnesota. To say, yeah. Before you keep going on, I wanted to say something, too, about the day he passed away. Sure. Uh, that, I, that I remember very well. I just don't want to forget to mention it. Uh, a listener to the show, a good friend of mine, good guy, uh, Chris Goble. Uh, he's never asked a question yet, I don't think, but I know he's a listener. Good guy. And he called me on that day in uh, 1999. We've been hanging out a lot at the time, and he had access to a lot of the AOL stuff. He was, like, up on all that stuff. At the time, you know, not everybody was yet. And he told me, like, you're Rick Rude. I was like, what? Like, how? Like, because this wasn't, at this time, you had Adonis dead. You had, you know, a couple yeah, of guys. Yeah, he was early in the run yeah. of, of our era, guys dying. You know, Kerry Von Eric, yep. you know, Bravo. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was early in the run. Set off a trend, unfortunately. I believe you probably know better this than me. I, I Columbine, I think, was right around. Oh, yeah. Same, same month. Same month. Uh, uh, maybe almost to the day. I don't know for sure. I, I, I put those th- two things together in my head. Yeah, I uh, can probably not that. the same. Probably not the same day. They were I mean, both definitely. Close. No, same day. April 20th, 1999. No, shit. Yeah. Steve, I didn't have this plan to say this or anything. When you said it, it just it just brought. That's the great thing about doing this podcast. Yeah. When you said it, it just brought that phone call. I remember where I was standing with the cordless phone, and that all this happening at the same time. How about that? Stone Gossard wrote a beautiful song about Combine called "Rival" on Pearl Jam's wow. album by Neural. So if anyone wants to check out um, a Combine song, "Rival" by Pearl Jam, I recommend it. All right, so. Went to high school in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. Listen, Dave, who else went to that high school? Tom Zink, Brady Boone, Nikita Koloff, Kurt Henning, John, John Nord, and Barry Darso. Uh, all, Quite a crew. All went to that high school. He was close with his childhood friend, Kurt Henning. Was you know kind of his best friend of that group. Uh, you know They were boys together. 
Yeah, and I, I think his uh, if Rude didn't pass away, I think maybe Kurt might have been around a little longer too. Seemed like it really affected him. Anoka Ramsey Community College is where he got a degree in physical education, and he worked as a bouncer for a little bit and did a small stint as an arm wrestler, which actually comes up on our show tonight. Uh, it's at that point he'd be introduced to professional wrestling. Uh, Eddie Sharkey trained him. Uh, Eddie Sharkey also trained Bob Backlund, the Road Warriors, um, X-Pac, Eric Rowan. He nice be- little resume. Yeah, he began wrestling in 1982 as Ricky Rude, a babyface jobber. Uh, he lost his TV debut against Kamala, Joe Duke. Joe Duke. Oh, Joe Duke. Joe Duke. He was in No Holds Barred. Uh, you know, in the battle of the tough guys okay. segment, you know, with Zeus, and then he did a couple of couple of TVs for the WWF. Well, they were filming No Holds Barred in '88. Yeah, uh, his, his name was the Headbanger, and he had a match with uh, Tito Santana on Primetime Wrestling. Well, famous this, did Memphis. This, Canada, yeah, this Canada. match. This match was on Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Yeah, he's, he's a journeyman. Yeah. Um, Rude started in Vancouver's. Uh, then he started with Vancouver's NWA All-Star Wrestling. Then he moved to Georgia and later Memphis. Uh, he debuted on the May 28, 1983 episode of World Championship Wrestling, defeating Pat Rose with a dropkick. Uh, Gordon solely interviewed him next week with Rude discussing transitioning from arm wrestling to pro wrestling. And dropping weight to increase speed. That's the way. That's how you introduce somebody. Yep. I mean, I didn't, I didn't even know that happened until you just said it right now. But just, it just, I could just picture it in my head. Like, okay, now I'm interested in this guy. He was an arm wrestler. He must be tough. Now, the way they guy bring in guys now, nothing like that anymore. He later left and joined the and uh, National Wrestling Alliance, having debuted in WCCW in a match against. Is this one Kamala? It is. He lost. Still... He lost that match to Kamala and went on to Jim Crockett Promotions, uh, where he had a variety of tag team partners and feuded with the Road Warriors. Uh, and then finally in '84, this time as Ravishing Rick Rude, an overconfident and arrogant heel, managed by Jimmy Hart, he landed in Memphis and he feuded with uh, Jerry Lawler and his former partner. Uh, Rude's former partner? Yep, somebody feuded, feuded with in Memphis. Jerry Lawler and his former partner? Not Manny Fernandez. King Kong Bundy. Later. King Kong King Bundy. Kong Bundy. Give him a, a five count. Rude. Give him a five count. Uh, 84 to 85, he was in Florida. He was managed by... Oh, yes! Percy Pringle. Good job. Um, let's see there. He won the NWA Florida United States Tag Team Championship in a tag team with. Mm-hmm. Is this Manny Fernandez now? Jesse Barr. Oh, uh, you know who that is, right? Of course I know who Jesse Barr is, you idiot. Why, how dare you even ask me such a question? <laughs> I don't think you do. <laughs> <laughs> he Jimmy is uh, Jimmy Jack Funk. Yep. Mm-hmm. You got to get my page time to load there, but. You know, uh, let's see. Then he went uh, in 85 to 86. He was at World Class Championship Wrestling uh, where he feuded with uh, World Class. Uh, he, he was uh, a big, big name here. World Class. Yeah. So he feuded but, uh, with Dingo a big name. Warrior was around at the same time, but I don't know if they had a match. No, Kevin Von Erich. OK. And also gentleman Chris Adams. He, cap- he captured the NWA American Heavyweight Championship. In 85, 
However, WCCW withdrew from the NWA and it changed his name to World Class Wrestling Association. Um, and the NWA renamed the belt that he won while Rude was holding it. They renamed it the WCWA World Heavyweight Championship. As a result, Rude became the promotion's first world champion. Uh, after losing the title to Chris Adams in 86, he fired Pringle and briefly replaced him with... Hmm. <laughs> Another manager in WCCW in 86. A female. Is it Sherry? His sister, Raven, is what it says. I have no idea about that. <laughs> no idea either. But he did, Dave, have a short-lived tag team with the Dingo Warrior. Uh, but Warrior turned on him, became a face. Uh, I recall um, uh, in 86, was the year I got into wrestling, I watched a bit of uh, WCCW. And the, those, those two guys, Rude and the Warrior, probably the first two guys, unless I'm not thinking of someone, that I knew already. When they came in WWF, oh, that's that's Dingo Warrior. Oh, right. you know, that's, yeah. that's Recruit. I know these guys. Yep. Uh, in September of 86, he returned to JCP and joined. Come on, you've been dying for this one. Oh, Manny Fernandez. Manny Fernandez and his manager, <laughs> Paul Jones. And they had a rivalry with Wahoo McDaniel. Uh, they were collectively known as the. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of a brother. Sorry. Awesome Twosome. We never got that. Yep, and they won the tag team championships from the Rock and Roll Express, which is a big deal winning championships. Yeah, around. and also In working 86. with Wahoo and working with Wahoo McDaniel is a big deal. So Rude's, uh, you know, he's up there right now. But all of a sudden, in April of '87, Rude's out. He's going to the WWF, and uh, boy, he left him hanging because he's a, a champion. Uh, but Jim Crockett Jr. aired a pre-tape non-title match where the Express defeated Rude and Fernandez and claimed that Rude had been injured as a result. So that's how they got the belts off of him. So that, then he uh, he shows up in WWF, and he made his debut on the Superstars of Wrestling on July 87, July 15th of 87 as the newest member of the Heenan family. Uh, and, um, and, and from there, it's history. And, and uh, I have a quick story I want to tell, Dave, about... Uh, when he would bring girls to the ring. So I think I mentioned this before, that when Jake the Snake started doing his shows, his one-man shows, one of his first shows was in Buffalo. And uh, my friend and I went to it, and he says, I got a story about Rick Rude I want to tell. He's like, I never told this story. So he t- he's talking about how um, Bruce, Bruce Pritchard would get the girls. And uh, this night was one of the times that they had got a working girl. Uh, and and uh, Jake seen her backstage, and um, he asked uh, her if she wanted to play a prank on Rude, and she was up for it. So the prank was that she would go into the car with Jake uh, and perform fellatio on him uh, to completion, thus to take Jake's seed into her mouth. I love it. And then go to the ring to do her spot with Rick, uh, where Rick would kiss her, and... When it was a working girl, the kiss would be a little bit extra, and Rude knew, and uh, Jake knew that. So uh, Jake does his thing. He drops his deposit off, and before you know it, the boys are at the monitor uh, watching Rick Rude make out with the same girl 
Um, and is, isn't it amazing that Jake's wife was probably there in the arena at this time? Oh, my God. <laughs> Unbelievable. Real-life wife, Cheryl. Yeah, but that's uh, that's about a Jake Rude. Or, excuse me, Rick Rude. Uh, this show, of course, took place uh, in January, the first, first 10 days of January, uh, in the Boston Garden. And one thing Dave and I have been really enjoying uh, is talking about these arenas. The Boston Garden was an arena, of course, Dave. In Boston, Massachusetts, and it was de- designed by a boxing promoter named Tex Ricard, who also built the third iteration of um, Madison Square Garden. Madison Square Garden. Um, it opened on November 17, nineteen twenty-eight, as Boston Madison Square Garden, uh, but was hmm. it was later shortened to Boston Garden. Very cool. I did not know that. Yep, and it outlived its original namesake by 30 years. It was wow. above the North Station, a train station which was originally a hub for the Boston and Maine Railroad and is now a hub uh, for the commuter rail and the Amtrak trains. The Garden hosted home games of the Boston Bruins and the Boston Celtics, as well as rock concerts, amateur sports, boxing, professional matches. We'll go through a lot of this. It was also used as an exhibition hall for political rallies, such as the speech by John F. Kennedy in November of 1960. Boston Garden was demolished in uh, 1998, three years after the completion of its new successor, uh, the TD Garden. Um, So uh, capacity for ice hockey's 14,448, basketball 14,890, uh, concerts, 15,909. They broke ground in December of 1927. It opened in November of 1928 and closed on September 28, 1995. The, con- the construction cost Dave $4 million uh, or $60.3 million in 2020 dollars. Wow. Um, imagine them putting together you know, a, a, a project like that now. Uh, an interesting thing about the garden is that the hockey rink was not the standard size of a hockey rink. So no shit. Yeah. So like now in the NHL, you have to have 200 foot by 85. Okay. That's like, that has to be the size. I would think it always has to be the same no matter what in the NHL. Now it is, but yeah. back then, um, these arenas, like this arena was built by a boxing promoter. Um, so they could only fit a 191 foot by 83 foot rink in. So it was nine feet shorter and two feet narrower. And that's a big difference. I know it doesn't sound like much, but it is. And it's interesting because Buffalo was also an arena with a smaller rink. So Buffalo and Boston wasn't just Boston. No, Buffalo and Boston were both known uh, as two arenas that were tough to play in. For visitors, because the size was different and it played different. Well, that's crazy. There's probably a lot of complaints when you know certain teams would lose going over there or something. Yeah, the garden had no air conditioning, uh, which resulted yeah. in fog forming over the ice uh, during Bruins playoff games. During Game Five of the '84 NBA Finals, the 97 degree heat in the facility was so intense that oxygen tanks were provided to exhausted players. Uh, what year was that? That was in 84. 84, uh, yeah, because still in our time in WWF in the 80s, 
the gorilla would have his his coat smoking jacket off yep. all the time, sweating through his uh, shirt. Hell yeah. Uh, the Bruins played in the Stanley Cup Finals in 88 and 90, both times against the Oilers, the Oilers, and both times it was disrupted by power outages. Uh, on May 24th, 1988, a 1930s vintage switchgear failed, and the emergency generator did not start during Whoa. Game 4 of the Finals. The contest was replayed in Edmonton two days later. Then you go two years later in 90, and the lights went out during an overtime finals game between the same teams. However, this time the lights were on an automatic timer and could could be turned back on time with the game ending with a 3-2 triple overtime win uh, for the Oilers. Imagine if that happened today with social media and everything. Oh, my God. Biggest well, thing in the world. It kind of did happen in the social media era, Dave. Do you remember no when? And you remember when it happened? I don't. The Super Bowl. And oh, I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah, a couple of years ago. Yeah. That's, I mean, maybe the, six years ago. At the Super Bowl. 49ers in it. Yeah, 49ers, 49ers and the Ravens. I do remember now. Yeah, so that was uh, that was some wild stuff. That was stuff. a huge deal. Uh, triple overtime, Dave. Uh, the Bruins and the Oilers. Tell me who scored the triple overtime game-winning goal for the <sighs> Oilers. Oh, Wayne Gretzky. No, he was in L.A. No. by that time. Oh, well, that, that's all I got. Uh, Peter Klima. <laughs> you were never getting Good man. You were never getting that one. <laughs> I, was, I was setting you up there. Uh, all right, let's talk about some of the concerts here. Uh, Rudy Valet and his orchestra. Oh, were, yeah, them. Yeah, they performed. They're the first concert. Uh, the first rock concert uh, was November 30th, 1956, when the building hosted Alan Freed's biggest show of 1956. The Beatles played there during their first U.S. Canadian tour. Uh, James Brown played a show there in 68, the night after Martin Luther King was assassinated. Excuse me. Only 2,000 attended the sold-out show because the mayor and community leaders had encouraged people to obtain refunds on their tickets and instead to watch a hastily arranged television broadcast of the concert on a local station. Wow, what a piece of information that is. Crazy. Elvis Presley performed in Boston only once at the Garden on November 10th, 1971. A full crowd of 16,500 and received high praise from Rolling Stone journalist John Landau. Oh, because Elvis, he needs John Landau's opinion. (laughs) Uh, In 1973, The Who were scheduled to perform and nearly didn't due to the band being detained by police after destroying a hotel room in Montreal the previous weekend. The band was eventually released from jail and managed to arrive at the garden in time for their show and took out their frustrations for being arrested the night before by delivering a blistering set and taunting Montreal police, dedicating their performance of Won't Get Fooled Again to them. Keith Moon changed one of the lyrics to the song Bellboy from Remember the gaff where the doors we smashed to. Remember Montreal at the hotel we trashed. You know, it's funny, like, with a band like The Who, obviously we know all the stories about Keith Moon and whatnot, but The Who we know, you know, people our age, they look like old guys. Like, when you hear about, you know, Motley Crue or Guns N' Roses trashing something, I guess the way they dress now, whatever, they kind of still look like, you could see it. Even the Rolling Stones, they still have a, 
a youthful, even though they're old skeletons, like something's youthful about them still, but the who look like old dudes. So it's kind of weird, like picturing that in your head, trashing the hotel rooms and shit. <laughs> in 1975, Led Zeppelin was banned from performing at the Garden after concert fans were allowed in the lobby due to sub-freezing temperatures while waiting for tickets to go on sale for the band's show. Turning on the generosity of their hosts, some fans rioted, broke into the garden, and trashed the seating area, the ice, and most of the refreshment stands, leading the mayor to cancel the upcoming show and ban the group for five years. Wild. Uh, In 1976, Kiss was banned from performing at the garden because they refused to comply with the venue's no pyrotechnic policy after fire marshals had watched their flamethrowers hit the ceiling uh, at the theater, the Orpheum Theater there. Wow, have times have changed. Now Paul Stanley will comply with anything. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, let's see. Um, Bob Seger recorded a bulk of his 1981 double live album, now Nine Tonight, at the Garden. Saw him uh, a few years back. Same. Good show. Same. I love Seger. Uh, hometown band Aerosmith performed the Garden 10 times from 75 to 95. And twice played New Year's Eve shows there, ringing in 1990 and 1994. That'd uh, be a good time. Other acts um, include Bruce Springsteen, Guns N' Roses, uh, Jethro Tull, who hung out 15 performances there between 71 and 80, which is the most for a band. Um, Bob Dylan, the band, Diana Ross and the Supremes, the Jackson 5, Queen Rush Sticks. How about George Burns for some comedy? George Burns. Good old George Burns. I remember from the Oreo cookie commercial. Uh, the Age of Glam Metal uh, basically passed on the garden completely because of the opening of the Worcester Centrum and the Great Centrum, Worcester, yeah. And the Great Woods Amphitheater. I go Worcester. I don't do the I don't I don't I don't say it that way. I you know you're Worcester? supposed to say it that way, but I'm protesting. Huh. Hey, you can say it any way you want, man. You're uh, not gonna get no complaints out of me. Caused a massive drop in their concerts. I think the crew might have done Boston. I got to look into it. Maybe in like the theater of pain. But by the time Dr. Feelgood and definitely by the time I was going through the shows into the 90s, it was the Centrum. Uh, most bands in that era played the Centrum in the winter and Great Woods in the summer. Poor acoustics, a busy sports and schedule. Spe- I don't, don't want to cut you off. I don't, don't want to forget because yeah. this is important. The WWF did all their TV in the Centrum. We don't count the ha- the house show uh, on Nesson on Boston. That's not really on TV. Right. That that doesn't count. They didn't have anything televised from the Boston Garden until Survivor Series 93. I found that strange. They did everything in the Centrum, too. I bet TV that's why. Saturday, Saturday Night's Made Events, Superstars, yep. Challenge, all the Centrum. And I bet this is the big one right here. Difficulty with local unions. Probably, yeah. I bet was a big reason for that. Bringing uh, the, the satellite in and all that shit. Okay, so a new president comes in, uh, and he, um, his name is Larry Moulter, and he, he, he gets bands there. He makes it a priority, and uh, it was highlighted by Pearl Jam's multi-night stand in 1994, uh, which is really famous in Pearl Jam circles for, at the end of the second night, uh, instead of walking off the stage, uh, Eddie Vedder beat a hole into the stage with his mic stand. And then left through the stage. What a way to go. It's kind of like the Bugs Bunny exit. Yeah, really cool. I actually have that on VHS somewhere. Wild. Uh, the final uh, show in the Boston Garden, Dave, was performed by... 
<laughs> Let me think. And is it 1995 around the summer? December 31st, 1994. Oh, it's New Year's Eve. It went that long. And the band on that uh, night. Aerosmith. The, the band wrote. Here, I'm going to give you a hint. The band wrote a giant hot dog float above the audience. And the hot dog is now at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. Well, it's not Boston's own Aerosmith. No. No? Um, not Bruce but they are shit. from Vermont, the band. Give me another hint, song-wise or something. Uh, they're mostly a live band. A Grateful Dead? Close, like close, yep. Not Fish. them. Fish, yep. All right. Uh, all right. I think uh, Jerry Garcia was dead by, by uh, December 95. Real quickly, um, the Boston Garden also hosted many religious um, ceremonies, you know, the Billy Grahams of the world. And also, like we said... Superstar. Superstar. Yep. Brother. He would do uh he would he would show up there once in a while and give a religious speech, brother. He would do something like that with yeah. no problem. Uh it was also the site of a number of political rallies. Uh the fifty fifth birthday celebration for President Franklin D. Roosevelt. Um he drew twenty grand two different times at the garden. Uh FDR. That's why he's uh that's why he's FDR. Uh let's see what else. JFK, we mentioned the presidential election rally. 20k there that night with 100k outside in the streets. Mm. Um, Thomas Dewey and Dwight Eisenhower, um, which is a surprise, a Republican and former Boston mayor and Massachusetts governor James Michael Curley uh, also did it. So that's the Boston Garden, New England, brother. I know, and it's it's wild too. Oh, you mentioned this, Dave. The Grateful Dead were scheduled to play. Um, a bunch of shows um, to close the garden, but Jerry Garcia passed away. So that's why Fish, because they're similar, jumped yeah. in. That's why they ended up being the last band. Wow. Pretty cool, man. Yep. The last official game played at the garden took place on Sunday, May 14, 1995. It was game five of the NHL Eastern Conference quarterfinal series between the Bruins and the Devils. Where the Devils beat the Bruins three to two, winning the series four games to one, and eliminating the Bruins from the playoffs, uh, the Devils went on to win the Stanley Cup. And Dave uh, was at the parade, uh, the Devils parade. Uh, young uh, HDR was at the parade. He led the parade. Um, yeah, it's a big day you're, for you. You're kidding around, but you never know. <laughs> I mean, I I was at soccer parades and this and that. I I know a lot of people, and I like a good time. But back in '95, you know, I was probably in school. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's uh, that's the garden, Dave. Um, we've reached uh, an important part of the show, uh, my friend. It's uh, the part of the show where I turn my mic off. Uh, I hand the uh, the reins to you for your prepared segment, and I sit back, sip my drink, have a snack, and find out where Hulk Hogan is in January of 1988. Take it away, my friend. January of 1988. Thank you for the introduction, by the way. Okay, we're going to start off on January 2nd, 1988. Happy New Year. This is where the Saturday night's main event airs from Landover, Maryland at the Capitol Center. Now, this is taped way back on December 7th, 1987. A little moldy, brother, but it didn't matter to us when we were seven years old. We had no way of finding out the results. Uh, Hulk Hogan, in a rematch from the prior Saturday night's main event, pinned King Kong Bundy in 12 minutes and nine seconds. And after the match... Andre the Giant attacked the Hulkster, and everybody knows this site. Andre choking, choking, choking Hulk down until the Bulldogs attempted to make the save, 
Andre took both British Bulldogs, and these are tough, tough men, by the back of the head and threw them out of the ring simultaneously. Then went back to choke and Hulk down, choke and Hulk down, no, no breath, no nothing. Then Jake the Snake, the JYD, and the Strike Force ran down trying to pull Andre off. Nothing. Finally, Hacksaw Jim Duggan comes out with the two-by-four, nails Andre in the back. Andre acted like he got bit by a mosquito, but still it was enough for him to release Hulk finally. The two-by-four was actually supposed to break. They had it cut a little bit over Andre's back. It didn't break. And then Hacksaw jumped out of the ring and hit the two-by-four against the canvas. And it went. you could see this if you watch it on Peacock. It went flying into the crowd and hit some kid. And Vince had to have the kid meet Hulk and everything after the match. Um, surprised Duggan must have Duggan must have been in double jeopardy after after that incident. <laughs> okay, back into real time. January well, real time for the eighties. January fifth, nineteen eighty eight, where the WWF superstars are wrestling taping in Huntsville, Alabama, in front of eighty five hundred. The first ever tag team. The first time they ever teamed up. Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man Randy Savage, the Mega Powers. In a handicap match, go over the Honky Tonk Man and the Hart Foundation when Hogan pinned Honky. Now, all the WWF champs are in this match together. The World Wrestling Federation champion, Hulk Hogan, Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion, the Honky Tonk Man, and, of course, the Tag Team Champions, the Hart Foundation. I'm surprised they never did this match anywhere else ever again. I believe this match can be found that's on badass. that. That's badass. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I, I think it can be found on that WWE unreleased DVD that Sean Mooney hosted. Yeah, it's a really that. good DVD, but yeah, I think they should have overdubbed. Yeah, some it's so commentary. quiet. It's so quiet. Even put Michael Cole on it. Something. Yeah, it's it's just yeah, that's a little hard to watch that way. Uh, next night, challenge taping Nashville, Tennessee, at the Municipal Auditorium. Hogan goes off, uh, over a guy he was married to at this time on the road, the big one man gang, who I just uh, had a confrontation with uh, not too long ago. Friendly confrontation, of course. Uh, January 9th, 88, we're in the Boston Garden for our show in front of 13,903. I'm not going to, uh, in the past, I've given the results on this of our show recover. I'm not going to do that anymore. But Hulk Hogan's meeting ravishing Rick Root. We'll talk more about that later. January 10th, 1988, Madison, Wisconsin, the Dane County Coliseum. Hulk Hogan once again over the big 747, the one-man gang. And finally, the middle of the month, January 15th, at the Mecca in Milwaukee in front of 12,233 fans, Hulk Hogan over the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase. That's it for me. Good job, Dave. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to read the news. Uh, we'll talk about the card at the, at the Boston Garden on this night in 1988. We'll go blow-by-blow, blow, a Hulk versus Rude, and we'll give some ratings. You ready? Ready, dude. All right, let's take a break. We'll be right back. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the New England Sports Network. I'm Gorilla Monsoon along with Bobby the Brain Heen and here in Beantown in the Boston Garden. Brain, a chance for you tonight to get your hands on the coveted World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Championship belt. Well, like I said before, that beautiful body and that beautiful physique on Rick Rude is going to be not really blemished, but you're not going to be able to see the beautiful stomach development because right in front is going to be that World's Championship belt. Well, that all remains to be seen. Plenty of action coming your way, so let's go up to ringside. We are back. It's a... It's a doozy tonight. It's the Boston Garden. 
Boston, Massachusetts. January 9th, 1988, 13,903 in the building. And, you know, I'm going to guess a lot of Christmas presents were cashed in on this night in uh, January of 88 in Boston. Dave, before we get to any of that, we got to read the news. But before we even get to that, uh, we mentioned ECW earlier. And I got to do it to you, Dave. You fucked up. You fucked up. You fucked up. (laughs) I like it. I sure did. I was in the bathroom relieving myself, meaning urinating. Not the other thing. Yeah, right. And I thought to myself, I thought to myself, what the hell? I'm just thinking about what I just said. Um, when I, when the Hulk Hogan Macho Man and the handicap match against the Hart Foundation and the Honky Tonk Man uh, match, I just talked about the only time this match ever happened. I said I made the mistake in saying that all the WWF champions were in the ring at that time in that match. That is not true because the Hart Foundation had already dropped the belts. To strike force in November, and this is January. I fucked up in Syracuse. Yep. My apologies. It happens. All right, Dave. With that said, it's time to read the news. All right, January 1988 starts out with a bang, baby. January 1st, the Miami Hurricanes beat my Oklahoma Sooners to become the champions of college football. Uh, also, right. on that day, the One 70... Miami Hurricanes starter jackets. Yes, sir. Also, the Rose Bowl, of course, the Big Ten champ and the uh, Pac-10 champ, the 74th version of it, Michigan State beats USC uh, 20 to 17 uh, Syracuse and Auburn tied the Sugar Bowl Florida beat Nebraska uh, in the uh, in the Fiesta Bowl and I mentioned um, that it was the Orange Bowl uh, where Miami in Miami beat Oklahoma uh, 20 to 14 uh, Ashland oil the next day. They have a storage tank that spills 3.8 million uh, gallons of gas um, at $3 a gallon in Joe Biden's America. It'd be quite the bill. It'd be quite the bill. Um, January 2nd, also, uh, the Canadian Prime Minister and Ronald Reagan uh, signed a Canada-U.S. free trade agreement. Ain't that America. Ain't that America. January 3rd, Margaret Thatcher. Uh, becomes the longest-serving British prime minister uh, in the 20th century. Uh, January 8th, the Dow Jones is down 140 points. Mm. Uh, Also on the 8th, Hewlett-Packard introduces the HP-28S Advanced Scientific Calculator. And I probably still don't even have it. Maybe I'll get it next week. (laughs) Yeah, that damn Course 3 teacher. You got your scientific calculators. We weren't allowed to use them for a while, though, right? You had to do it by hand. Yeah, because remember we, going up to the going up to the blackboard. I remember my fifth grade math teacher saying we couldn't use calculators because when you're an adult, you're not going to always have a calculator in your hand. Wrong. Then I started, yeah, yeah. How about that? Huh? Yeah. That kind of ba- that kind of backfired. Yep. But, hot, um, hot takes exposed. After you start getting into junior high, middle school, if you will. And they call you the day they call you up, you're happy to go to math class because the girls are going up 
on the blackboard with these long division uh, jobs. You know, you can look at a little tight jeans. You know what I mean? We would do this game. Also, it was also in fifth grade. I think our teacher would uh, she would put from zero to nine on the board, but she'd scramble them up right. So it'd be like five, two, six, zero. You know, all the different numbers. And then she'd have it set up on the left of the board and the right on the board. And she'd call two students up there. And um, you would uh, she'd call a number out. She'd go, five. And then the first person to multiply the number on the board by five, have the right answer and get to the end, would win. So it was like a race. And if you won, you got to call out your opponent. And it, cool. you know, became this thing where the boys would call out the girls. You know, the girls would call out the boys. This way, if you beat the girl, you could tease her in class. And there was one day, man, I was hot. I was good at this game. I was really good with my uh, with my times tables. And uh, I was up there from the third game all the way to the end. Ran it. Legendary. Awesome, man. Legendary. Yeah, I remember, you, like, when you're up there, you're like, fuck my life. Every All eyes are on yeah, me. Yeah, like, I was in the zone. Dropping the chalk. You would, there would be try- kids that would get up there that hated it, you know, and, like, they'd just be stuck on, like, zero times four, and they couldn't get past it. And you could hear, like, everyone in the yeah. in the desks, like, starting to rumble yeah. and shit, you know, like. I was the type stuck. person that would, like, try to say something funny and get yelled at by the teacher because now, now all eyes are on that. Yeah, I was often that person, but I liked this game because I was good at it. If I was yeah, bad at fun. it, I would have been that person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, let's see. We got to do one of these every time. January 10th, Don't Get Good Started. That's the name of the show. Don't Get Good Started. Or God Started. F me. And God Started. I need vo- I need bifocals, Dave. Don't Get God Started. Uh, closes at a, lot, the- a lot of people nowadays better take that to heart, in my opinion. Yeah, because, I mean, when I'm looking at my screen, I just it looked to me like two O's, but it's one. That's all right. I just said the Hart Foundation. Dave Hollywood Rollins said the Hart Foundation had WWF champions in 1988 mixed up. All my friends that listen to this, they're probably going to knock on my door thinking there's something seriously wrong with me tonight. The 24, it happens. The 24 is not our age. Uh, no. Anyway, this show, Don't Get God Started, closed uh, after 86 performances uh january 12th willie stargell was elected to the hall of fame and dave you know that he played most of his career for the i don't even know what hall of fame he was elected elected for first the baseball hall of fame (laughs) Uh, baseball hall of fame okay okay all right a baseball hall of fame uh what team he was on for the longest run i got maybe let's stick with the hometown uh for the podcast. How about the Red Sox? Uh, no, he was part of the We Are Family Pittsburgh Pirates. Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, January 13th. Now, is that, does Pirates, uh, does that offend anybody? Are they, are they still in, involved? Not for Pittsburgh long. Pirates? They're coming uh, not up. For, yeah. Okay. First, yeah. Well, I said, I said on some post that, you know, I was kidding around, obviously, because uh, this goes for the San Francisco Giants or the New York Giants, you know, baseball and football. Andre's family is is offended. He was a real giant. I don't blame him. You know, come yeah. on now. We got we got to change this. Well, uh, before <laughs> we do, uh, the Dodgers and the Padres also had uh, Steve Garvey uh, retired. Uh, so a sad day for fans of those teams. Uh, January thirteenth, the Supreme Court rules five to three that public school officials have broad powers to censor school newspapers, plays, 
and other expressive activities. Censor. Goes right along with what we're talking about. This was a big, big one, X. a big story. The version of this show that we watched was the uh, 24-7 version, and they mentioned this story. Uh, January yeah, yeah. 15th, <laughs> NFL analyst Jimmy the Greek Snyder makes several questionable comments about African Americans during a lunchtime interview on CBS's NFL Today, and he was fired the next day. Yeah, if, if this is on Peacock now, they'll, they'll cross out uh, Jimmy the Greek and probably try to bury one of our close friends on there. I'm not going to say his name. Uh, January 15th, a 19-year-old Indian cricket leg spinner records the best bowling figures on a debut test history. He captures 13, 136, and 255 run fourth test win versus West Indies. I have no idea what any of that is. Yeah, I was lost in the middle of it. I just thought of S.D. Jones out with the, with the West Indies. Antigua in the West Indies. Uh, on January 16th, the St. Louis Cardinals football team Announced that they will move to uh, Arizona. That's right. Arizona, where they were Phoenix, the Phoenix first. Cardinals yeah. uh, for a while. Good job, Dave. Uh, January 16th, George Harrison's Got My Mind Set on You tops the Billboard charts. Big fan of that song. Same. Remember, uh, the, remember the video? It was like all the, uh, the, like the dead animals on the wall, like a hunter yep. would put. They all started singing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, you know, obviously everybody knows that I'm on the conservative side of the field, but doesn't mean you always have to be, the way the media tries to make it, you're all one way, you're all the other way. I'm, I mean, I do eat meat or whatever, so it's kind of me saying this, I'm making it. I don't want to see your hunting things. It's, it's, it, I'm not about that. Shout out to Mick Price. Shout out to Mick yeah. Price. Oh, is he uh, a hunter? Sorry, I have no Sorry idea. I have no idea. He's just uh, conservative oh. like us. So I oh, okay, yes. Uh, January 17th. One of the most famous football games of all time. The AFC Championship game at Mile High Stadium. The Denver Broncos beat the Cleveland Browns 38-33. to It features the infamous fumble. Uh, the game is called the fumble. Uh, the Browns running back. I'm going to leave his name out because Dave's going to guess it. Uh, fumbled oh, at shit. the Denver three-yard line with one minute and 12 seconds remaining. Dave, I can remember watching this game. And I remember I would lay down on the ground in front of the TV, my hands behind my head, and my feet up on the actual TV. Like, because it was a piece of furniture. It was this big, That's the way it was. you know, brown structure. And I would put my feet up, not on the screen, but on the furniture part of it. And I would always get in trouble. You know, my parents going, get your feet off the TV, get your feet off the TV. And I remember laying in front of the TV, hands behind my head, watching. Ernest Biner, get the... F- oh, I just blew it. You're not going to be able to guess Ernest Biner. I, I, would, I, would, I, would, I don't know who that is. Anymore. I know. I was just going to fuck with you. Uh, <laughs> but I watch Ernest... No, do, do the ones where I could possibly get it. Oh, that's, of course I do that, too. If but... I'm not going to know it at all... No, it once in really... a while, I'm going to fuck with you and uh, give you, you one can... you're not going to know. Don't, you can do don't tell me what to do. Uh, <laughs> so I'm watching Ernest Biner take the handoff, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, the Browns are going to the Super Bowl. He's going to walk into the end zone. And uh, the ball got punched out from behind. He fumbled, and I remember the video of him sitting on his helmet. Um, but I was shocked. I mean, just kind of like the uh, football version of Bill Buckner. Sounds like similar, very similar. My face was just on the floor. Couldn't believe it happened. Uh, later that day at RFK Stadium in Washington D.C., uh, the Minnesota Vikings beat were defeated by the Washington Football Team, uh, seventeen to ten. There's another one. Yep. 
and so we set up on that day a Redskins versus Broncos uh, Super Bowl. And that was the second year in a row for the Broncos to lose, I believe. Airliner uh, crashed. The Giants. Yep, uh, they lost the Giants. They lost three, three in four years. Uh, Giants, Redskins, and 49ers all beat them. Uh, January 18th, an airliner crashes in southwest China, killing all 108 on board. Uh, January 19th, 48 Hours premieres on CBS TV. Oh, the, all right. I'm, I'm thinking the movie, the TV show. Yes, uh, movies okay. generally Came a little later. 88 didn't premiere on TV. Uh, January 20th. So I don't even know if that movie was, was uh, 88. I, I remember another 48 Hours. It was like 90, 91, I think. January 20th, Arizona Committee opens hearing on the impeachment of Governor Evan Meacham. I wonder if he, what happens? I wonder if he's convicted. We'll have to get back to you on that one. Yeah, we'll have to look that up. Oh, big night. January 22nd, defending boxing champion Mike Tyson beats former champion Larry Holmes by TKO in four rounds. You should have asked me that. You should have left Larry Holmes' name out because I actually knew it. Oh, at the convention well, center in you know, one to retain his, his title. A vicious, vicious fourth round TKO where he knocks him down three times, which is why they have the TKO. This is around the time with Michael Spinks, too. I think it was right after this. It was like, yeah. you know, 30 seconds or something. It was supposed to be a 89. Good yeah, 89 seconds. 89 seconds. Uh, let's see. January 23rd, the 45th Golden Globes, the last Empire. Michael Douglas and Sally Kirkland all win. All right, Dave, this is a big one. January 23rd, Australian Open women's tennis. Name redacted of Germany wins first of three consecutive Australian singles crowns, beating American Chris Everett 6176. Dave, who was that female tennis player? Outback Jill. No. Uh, Steffi Graf. Yes, Steffi Graf. <laughs> it's always her. It's always her. January 24th. Now, we've had a fact check them on this before, but they're right in the ballpark if they don't have it exactly right. The first WWF Royal Rumble is won by Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Oh. Yes, yeah, the 24th. Okay. Uh, let's see. January 24th, the murder of Mary Fagan premieres, uh, which was Sounds a big, like a big premiere. January 25th, the 15th American Music Awards. Anita Baker, Paul Simon, and Whitney Houston all win. Uh, January 25th, U.S. Vice President George H.W. Bush and Dan Rather clash on the CBS Evening News as Rather attempts to question Bush about his role in the Iran-Contra affair. Some dramatic dramatic television there. A political clash. How about that? We're not used to that. January 27th, a big day for the Supreme Court. Uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee um, unanimously approves the nomination of Judge Anthony Kennedy, uh, one of the great Supreme Court justices uh, of all time. Uh, January 28th, New York Rangers, Marcel Dion scores a second period power play goal in a 5-2 win against Philadelphia. He becomes the first player in history to get 20 goals in 17 straight seasons. January 29th, Canadian Ben Johnson breaks his own 50-dash world record at a 5.15. He would later uh, disgrace himself with uh, failed drug tests. I've ran in several foot races myself. Oh, congratulations. I'm very proud of you. And last but not least, Dave, 
Super Bowl 22 on January 31st, Jack Murphy Stadium, San Diego, California. The Washington Redskins beat the Denver Broncos 42-10 behind the strong performance of Super Bowl MVP quarterback. Uh, John Elway. No, he's on the Broncos. The first uh, ever Super Bowl to be won by an African-American quarterback. Uh, give me a hint. Herschel Walker. The quarterback? <laughs> no. Uh, no. His first name uh, rhymes with plug, and his last name rhymes with Hilliams. His last name is Williams. Yep. <laughs> I don't think I know who it is. Doug Williams. Yeah, I don't know. You know, plug, Doug? Plug, yeah, Doug? Yeah, I mean. All right. That's the news for today. All right, Dave. January 9th, 1988, I mentioned 13,903 are in attendance, televised on uh, the North, the New England Sports Network, or Nesson. Uh, Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby the Brain Heenan are on commentary, although Bobby has to step away two different times, which we'll talk about. Uh, Very cool. First up, the Curtain Jerker, as Paula loves to call them, Iron Mike Sharp pinned SD Delivery Jones at 822. After hitting him in the head with his forearm support, uh, reports are he then went and took a six-hour shower. That's uh, the building he's been locked in, yeah. the Boston Garden. The gorilla always talks about chat with those four-hour showers. Uh, this match was nails on it. It was just too long. I mean, it just went on forever in a day. Um, I didn't love it. But uh, any thoughts for you on Iron Mike Sharp and SD Jones? Yeah, well, the only thing that stands out that I, I was surprised that uh, Mike went over. And uh, yeah. you know, usually the, if they're going to do – these guys are at the exact same exact same level as a face and a heel. SD is the Iron Mike of, sure. of the faces and yep. Iron Mike's SD. So the opening match, you know, it, it goes long because the fans are filing in. It's not right. like today where you have the big fireworks go off and you got to be there for the beginning. This is, you know, get your hot dog, get your beer, get your T-shirts, whatever, file in slowly. And um, it's just like any other Madison Square Garden Network or primetime match that we've seen. Just a surprise uh, guy going over. Sharp, and actually he used his uh, that forearm pad. To, it finally worked to his advantage once. So as much as I like SD, uh, I was happy to see uh, good old Iron Mike go over there. Uh, I'm only going to give it one star. Yeah. You know I mean, it's, it's special. Uh, I, I assume since he show, showed his face later. Uh, that Ar- Arnie Scotland was uh, booking tonight. Oh, okay. Uh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, he came out when Hulk was. Uh, well, we'll get to that. But um, I noticed him down there, so I'm gonna assume he was. Oh, okay. I know he, what you're talking he about. He was now. booking. Uh, the second match, and oh, is it a good one? Davy Boy Smith and the Dynamite Kid, the British Bulldogs, defeat the Conquistadors uh, when Dynamite scored the pin at 13:55 after the press slam diving headbutt combo. Uh, before the bout hilariously Bobby Heenan left ringside after being threatened by the Bulldogs of course this match takes place while uh, Heenan had Matilda kidnapped um, Dave I absolutely loved this freaking match that's the rumor um, I thought it was so good so good I love the British Bulldogs anyway and the Conquistadors consistently had really good matches in this era um, I know I was on the Place to Be podcast one time, and we had a similar thing where they were in a match. 
They're probably most famously known for the gambling references uh, at the uh, Survivor Series later this year <laughs> and their run, their underdog run in the in the giant tag match. But this was so good. Um, one of the best British Bulldog matches I've ever seen. Um, and just for the sake of my insanity, I will give it, Dave, 4.25 stars. I thought it was that good. Wow. Um, okay, uh, the Conquistadors are definitely a sleeper team in the WWF. That's a uh, lifelong jobber, the great Jose Luis Rivera, and a uh, great heel kind of jobber slash mid-carder, uh, Jose Estrada. And um, kind of like they did some jobs on TV, and you know that hurts you. So when you see them you know, in real time in a match with this, like, oh, there's no chance in hell they're going to beat the Bulldogs. So maybe when you were watching this, you might not have been paying that much attention because the conquistadors are a step down from Nikolai and Boris, even. They're, they're the level of the young stallions as heels, you know, Roman powers. But what a good team when they have the right time. First thing I loved about this is how this is a house show. It's televised on Bo- in, in Nesson, Boston, and New England. That don't count. That's not, it's not really televised, you know. So how they went along with the angle still and had Bobby run away yeah. when the Bulldogs came out. A couple of years later, if you got into the early 90s, they just would have left Bobby out there and had the match. This is how, you know, how close they studied it. Like, no, he can't be out there while they're wrestling because they're going to fucking kill this guy because he, imagine somebody stealing your dog. Yeah, I he mean, has I'm a dog. dog person. Sure, so he you runs know? away. I'd rather somebody steal my wife. If <laughs> I have one. Not, your, not your dog or your mother-in-law or something. Yeah, but um, mother-in-law for sure. Yeah. I love, yeah, I love. So, so like I said, you didn't always uh, pay close attention to Conquistadors match. You think you're going to lose, but if you think they're going to lose, but if you're doing a podcast, you got to pay attention to the matches. I loved how they're going in and out of the ring, you know, because they look alike and stuff. Like, oh, so good. Real, so good, a real competitive match. It's a competitive match all the way down the line, and I, I loved. I uh, watched it a little bit after you. So when you told me about it, I said I got to really pay attention to this one. Uh, like the Bulldogs are not just going to run over them. And then that finishing move, uh, the Bulldogs, where Davy Boy presses Dynamite up awesome. and he comes down with the headbutt. I wish they always, and they use it sometimes, but they would usually use on TV the other one where Davy would get the guy in a fireman's carry and uh, Dynamite would jump off the back yep. and do the headbutt, which is awesome, which is just as cool. But maybe because I've seen that one more, this, this one re- really, this one really affected me seeing like bang, one, two, three. Great match. The Bulldogs look like complete badasses that are pissed, and they want their they want their they don't want their belts back. They want their dog back. Yep. And uh, this reminds me, Steve. I know you did this as well. I uh, uh, listeners listen. I was seven years old at this time. Okay, seven people that are seven Same. now can't even can't even walk to the candy store. We walked to the candy store by ourselves back then. Yep. Nowadays, different story. But I wrote as well as Steve. He'll tell his story in a second. Yeah. I wrote. Matilda a card and I a letter because the WWF did a thing where you know right get well wishes to Matilda because the Islanders and Bobby Heenan dog napped Matilda on WWF TV now I remember my aunt D sat me down to to write this letter and I think I called them jerk offs and I remember her making her her making me redo it and put the Islanders are mean instead of the Islanders (laughs) are jerk offs I'll never forget that and Everybody always says on all the Bruce Pritchard podcasts and this and this and that and all this kind of stuff that the WWF did this so they could send you their merchandise calendars, merchandise catalog. Absolutely. To have your address. But I don't remember that happening. It did for I me. Think it did for you, but yeah. I think because maybe I was subscribed to WWF magazine already and they had the catalog in there. 
So maybe why resend it? I don't know. I just it could have happened. I just don't recall. Yeah, I, Steve, I remember. I remember getting them. Yeah, it's a very similar story. Uh, I but I remember me and my friend Jeff and I going up to our teacher and asking her if we could get extra credit if we wrote letters to the British Bulldog, and then she asked us what we meant. We told her about it. And during free time in school that day, anyone who wanted to write a letter to Matilda could do it for extra credit in class. And then we had to take our letters home to get the address and our parents, and we mailed them out. And I remember bothering my mother all day long to take me to the post office and her saying no. And what she did was she just put it in the mailbox and put the little flag up. And I remember just like running home the next day to see if they took it. You know, and it was gone and whatever. So this is the way wrestling was yeah. back then. Imagine kids That's asking a teacher now to write a letter to the Miz. You know what I mean? You'd be laughed out of the classroom. And I bet twelve or thirteen kids wrote letters. You know what I mean? Like there was a yeah, lot man. of kids in the class. It wasn't yeah. It wasn't no like weird thing or anything. I, I said I, I I don't recall getting the merchandise catalog, but maybe it's because I was subscribed to the magazine. But I, a couple of years later, when Earthquake Squash Hogan were all wearing the friendship bracelets, yep. I was kind of a little smart then. I was in fifth grade to the business, but I did it anyway because it was Hulk. I wrote the letter and some girl down the street. Same. I remember doing, doing it doing it with her. That time, I actually got a printed card back from Hulk. It was you know, it was not handwritten. It was a yep. computer thing. So I, had mine, I, I had mine for the longest time before I lost it eventually. Yeah. But I remember Good having times. it like... When I was getting ready to go to college the first time, I remember it was in my room, but no idea where it is now. All right, Ted. Oh, did you? Okay, so I went 4.25. How high did you go? Three? I'm going to do 3.25. Okay. A little Uh, over three. Ted DiBiase with Virgil uh, pinned Jake Roberts with a roll-up and holding the tights for leverage at 10.58 after Roberts attacked and interfering Virgil. After the bout, DiBiase uh, caught in the ropes and uh, Robert was about to put Damien on him before Virgil pulled DiBiase from the ring. Uh, and, of course, prior to the match, uh, Bobby Heenan came strolling back in and Gorilla busting his balls about, oh, you're feeling safe now. Here's what I want to say about this match. I like the story they were telling, you know, that Jake's trying to get the DDT and the smart kind of crafty veteran Million Dollar Man is countering it and, 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 and slipping away. The problem is the match was so slow because of it. Because every time Jake went for the DDT, uh, Ted would sliver out of the ring and then he'd be out there for three minutes doing crowd work, which is maybe pretty cool in 1988 at the Garden. Uh, but in 2021 at 1420 Walk Road, it's not as cool. And um, <laughs> I was just getting... So annoyed with Ted DiBiase. I was like, get in the ring. Mm. So it really just dragged this down for me. I'll go two stars on it. But it, like, I like the story they're telling, but it just backfired, I think. So I didn't love this match as much as I thought I might when they came out. When I saw this match hit the ring, I'm thinking, wow, this is way pre-Jake DiBiase feud. These guys had, guys had a right. big feud yeah. in 1989-90. and had a WrestleMania 6 match. I think this match was better. Than the WrestleMania six match, honestly, that match for some reason I think placement in the card when we do WrestleMania. Well, they didn't get ten minutes. We'll talk about they that. didn't get eleven yeah. minutes. You know what I mean? There's no way no. they got that much time at WrestleMania. But six. Uh, this is uh, an interesting match, you know, for the time. Uh, DiBiase is the, is the number one heel in the company right now. Uh, 
yep. excluding maybe Andre. They're they're next. They're, they're kind of the same person at this point. And uh, so DiBiase you know, gets the three count with the with the hook of the tice, and that's a big win because Jake is you know he's up there surpassed Steamboat at this point as uh, you know maybe third fourth baby but, face. But I will say he is kind of in an awkward period where no feud. He's kind of done with Honky, you know. At WrestleMania three, you know, he loses that match. Honky kind of scores the upset win, so he kind of doesn't really have anything, you know. Floundering, we call it yeah. floundering, right? Yeah, yeah. He's just kind of hanging yeah, out there. Yeah, not until uh, yeah, from from uh, the he was out for a bit in the summer uh, with some issues, and then Honky got uh, pro- reprogrammed with Macho at the time, and then when Jake comes back, you know, around um, uh, uh, maybe the fall, he's at Survivor Series. He just kind of is just Jake and has no feuds. He works with Danny Davis on the house shows and stuff and obviously goes over there. And he has no feud until the spring with uh, Ravishing Rick Rude. So, uh, but still, huge name, huge pop. This is a big match. You know, this is probably the, the biggest match under Hogan and Rude on this car- card, which drew, which drew the crowd. And uh, DiBiase goes over, and uh, we're going to be seeing a lot more from him. Uh, this match, I'll give it two and a half. All right. The next match uh, would be on Primetime Wrestling on the 18th. January 18th, 88, if you want to check it out. Dino Bravo with Frenchie Martin pin Jerry Allen at 336 with the side suplex. Uh, and early in the bout, Bobby Heenan left the broadcast table again uh, and went backstage. They did a really great thing. Gorilla starts pressing him about the whereabouts of Matilda, and he bails out. But really, he's working the next match. That's why he bails out. But they kind of, again, use an angle to explain why he, he bails. Yeah. You know, it's just really it was- well done. Absolutely. And isn't it cool if you're there in the arena, you get to razz the brain so many times. Coming oh, my in God. Out. Yeah, so awesome. And the crowd yeah. does, too. Uh, but look at this match was booked to be a primetime squash match. Uh, so that's what it is. It's a squash match. 336. I'm not even going to grade it. You know, there's no reason. There's not. It's just, you know, Dino isn't with the Dream Team anymore. You know, that's over. And he's he's with... He's with uh, Frenchie Martin now, and he's he's starting that. They're giving him that little push that will lead to the uh, the uh, the the weightlifting thing. At no, well, actually, it's coming it's coming right off that. Yeah. Uh, oh, that happened like already. Before uh, the Royal Rumble, January twenty fourth. Yeah. Well, this uh, is only we... January 9th. Oh, I'm sorry. Wow, what's up with me today? Yeah, you're fucking what up. What is up with Dave Rollins today? Yeah, no, it's coming right up in a few weeks. Jeez! Which is Thank po- God you're here, Steve. The point I was trying to make before I got yeah. in. Yeah, I'm about but, to start uh, staring myself down in the mirror really good later on. That those uh, are <laughs> th- those are my thoughts. You know, just it yeah. just it's, it is what it is. Yeah, Jerry Allen. It's like to, we'll probably never speak of him too often again. He's one of those jobbers that made a good account of himself that gets no play. People talk about Barry Horowitz all the time. People talk about Mike Sharp all the time. S.C. Jones. Jerry Allen was neck and neck with them. He 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 would be at all. He'd do jobs on TV, and then also... Um, uh, Paula put, said he looked like Bret Hart. She, at first she thought... I could see it. Yeah, because of his hair, with I a guess. Kenny, yeah. With a Kenny Omega hairstyle, yeah. maybe. But, uh, yeah, he'd always make a good account of himself a little bit at the house shows and then, and then go down. I think the first ever match I've seen live was him against uh, Tiger Chung Lee, if I'm not mistaken, at the Meadowlands. The first, you know, the first match of the card I ever saw live. Broke your but, chair, uh, yep. yeah. There we go. Uh, I give it half a star. You know, I guess I, I, I graded them all. You know, just just enhancing yeah. Dino because the lift is coming up. It didn't pass. I, I, you know, I could give it a half a star, but I feel like that has a negative connotation. There was no, it's like a superstar right, match, but there's nothing wrong with it. You know what I mean? It just it was 
booked to squash Allen for the for the uh, benefit of Bravo, and they accomplished that. You know what I mean? So yeah, and it's usually on the house shows. It's like how SD and I are Mike, like two enhancement guys that make two good account of themselves against each other. I almost thought maybe Jerry Allen was substituting for somebody here, but I don't believe so. It's for the primetime uh, deal. All right, the next matchup is Hulk, but we always do. We save that for last, so I'm just we'll going to skip him. over that for now. Uh, the WWF Women's Tag Team Championship match is next. It's Judy Martin and Lilani Kai uh, with Jimmy Hart. They defeat the Jumping Bomb Angels at 10:56 when Kai scored the pinfall following a front suplex from Martin behind the referee's back. Uh, this is pretty good. Um, I don't necessarily love women's wrestling from this era necessarily. Um, but Paula and I watched it together and we enjoyed it. Uh, she was making some hilarious comments just about how the, the, the ladies looked, um, <laughs> just, back then, you know, from a, a little rough, a five-year-old's eye, you know, are you sure that's a lady dad? You know, just stuff like that. But, um, and they weren't uh, going by the glamour girls. They weren't old then either. They were but they look so old. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. But uh, no, this was pretty good. I, I'll give it two point seven five, maybe even three. Uh, it was. I enjoyed it. We but maybe I was just it. having fun with Paul. I don't know. But go ahead. No, no, this, they, yeah. they work well together. We yeah. keep running into this match on a twenty-four inch podcast. We do. We yeah, obviously we do. did the Survivor Series eighty-seven. Then when we did uh, Boris Zukov on primetime, the rematch from this in the same arena, the Boston Garden, but from the March show was on that primetime. So we went over that match there. I think that one was a little better, uh, but this one, this one is just as good. These teams work together. I've, I've said it on the prior podcast how Uncle Tito was into the Bomb Angels. There was a little bit of talk going on about them and Uncle how Tito. the match, Tito and how the, they were supposed to have this tag match at WrestleMania four, but it got scraped somehow. And uh, yeah, I'll give this, um, I'll give it two and three quarter because I think they've had better. Yeah, ones. that's about where it is. I think that's about yeah. right. Uh, next up, Greg the Hammer Valent. So Dave, hold on a second. Let's back up. Uh, 1992, the dream team, basketball. Uh, what a team, right? They win gold. McDonald's sponsorships, you know, I remember getting big Happy deal. Meal. It's a big deal, right? 12 players on the team, 11 of them are in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, can you name the player on the dream team, Dave, who was not, is not an NBA Hall of Famer? Uh, Charles Barkley? I don't know. Christian Leitner. Good guess, though. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, how about that Instagram post, Greg? Yeah, well, that's what I'm getting to. So, <laughs> so then, of course, that the U.S. basketball team has always been called the Dream Team since, even though everyone knows there's only one true Dream Team, and that was the '92 team. But uh, <laughs> so they've been losing this year. They're not good for whatever reason. Their woke coach uh, oh, Popovich, um, who's just a miserable old bastard. Uh, he just it's whatever it's not working they're losing and um like to hear him in private pretend yeah. woke yeah someone uh someone posted about the dream team and King Craig Valentine <laughs> got right in there it was one of the nasty boys posted and he he gets in the comments and he's like yeah I would have loved to work with the nasty boys they drew money just like the dream team brother it's now so you think funny. he was kidding yes or no I do think oh, you he, do yeah I think he's in on the joke. Okay, but it, it kind of because the way Greg is, he's kind of got a little Dave Rollins in him. He I could easily not be, but I'm yeah, giving him the benefit got, of the doubt. You know what I'll I mean? I'll give him like, the benefit of the doubt yeah. too. But it, it didn't have like 
you know, he don't know how to do a laughing emoji or the anything funny like thing that. Is, there was none of that there. David just made this joke to me. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then we see it. And well, I, of course, both times when David made the joke and then when he tagged me on Instagram said, yeah, but the Dream Team had a nightmare at the Rosemont. Well, let me tell yeah. you something, Michael <laughs> Jordan, Mr. Sneakers, because that's who you are to me. The Dream Team in 1985 was Greg Valentine, Brutus Peak Cake, long before the Olympics. And then... Mr. Sneakers, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat came out to the Allen's Parsons Project also That's right. in 1985, way before the Chicago Bulls did, Jack. Yeah, the Bulls ripped it off. So how do you like that? I do want to make something clear while we're on this topic. Uh, Space Jam 2 came out uh, with LeBum James in the Michael Jackson role. Ooh. And uh, it's on HBO Max because there's this thing where, like, all of a sudden, movies not only are at the theaters, but they're also on these streaming services. Yeah. And, I don't like that. And we're looking for a movie for Paula one day last week, or maybe two weeks ago, whenever it came out. And she sees Space Jam. She's like, Dad, uh, I saw a preview for that. And I'm like, you want to watch Space Jam? Okay. I played her the original. We watch the original Space Jam in this house, Dave. Michael I Jordan like Space Jam. We don't watch that LeBron, LeBron James shit. So I just want to make Learning that Learning to fly. That's right. Not learning. No, I believe no. I can fly. I believe I can fly. Yeah. All right. Greg Valentine with Jimmy Hart defeated Brutus Beefcake via countout. The The nightmare has just boiled over to just an all-out war at this point. And I was waiting and waiting and waiting for uh, Gorilla to say it, but he did not this time. 8.02 after Beefcake uh, threw Valentine back into the ring just before the 10 countout. And then he's distracted by Jimmy Hart before he can get himself back in. Uh, so he basically cost himself the win by tossing Greg in first. Good, good managing uh, by Jimmy Hart and good, good, good booking. You know, like a good way to put a guy over without burying a guy. Without, yeah, they could bring the match back easy. Yeah, and this match. Uh, hold on, believe it or hold not, on. I'll toss you in a second. Uh, Valentine attacked Beefcake and got Beefcake's scissors and was about to cut Beefcake's hair until Beefer was able to block it. And run both Valentine and Hart from the ring with the scissors. So they really set up a good return here. Go ahead, buddy. Yeah, this uh, match, uh, this feud was actually only about a month old. And you're probably thinking, what the hell? They broke up at WrestleMania 3 in March. Well, Beefcake was supposed to uh, feud with Adonis first. And then Adonis uh, got fired yep. about a month, a couple matches into the feud on the house shows. And then Brutus started working more with Johnny V. The manager replaced, right. his old manager replaced Adonis. He may have had a match here and there with Greg. But it wasn't until the new dream team of uh, Valentine and Bravo broke up, uh, quietly broke up after uh, the Survivor Series 87 that they really, uh, Greg got back with Jimmy Hart and uh, this feud got un got underway. So this is uh, hot. This is a new and hot feud this time. Yeah, I'll give it two and a half. Um, it didn't outstay its welcome. Um, it was a good slick booking. Good, good little bit at the end to tie it together. They really set them up for a return. Um, so I'll, I'll be generous maybe a little bit, but I'll give it two and a half. I'm just going to give it two. I've seen uh, so, some better stuff. In That's the, fair. These too. guys, a, a superstars match uh, they had, I think, in December was uh, a little more exciting. But, uh, yeah, two two's fine for me. That's fair. All right. Uh, the last match of the night. It's another good one. Uh, the WWF Tag Team Champions Rick Martel and Tito Santana, of course, strike force. Uh, defeat Bret Hart and Jim Neidhart of the Hart Foundation with Jimmy Hart. Via disqualification at 12.37 when Neidhart uh, attacked Santana with the megaphone as Santana had the figure four applied on Brett. 
Um, it's nice to see. I don't know if I had ever watched a Strike Force Heart Foundation match that was 13 minutes long before. You know, where these guys really had a chance to go a little bit. Uh, and I enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. I didn't think it was as good as the Bulldog Conquistadors, but I thought it was, you know, 3.25 good. Uh, I enjoyed it. A good way to uh, to end it. You know, I will say that, like, Strike Force always came off as a little bit weak to me. You know, like, they kind of got a fluke win to me on the hearts. And the fact that they didn't win here kind of go strong just tells me that they're transition champions and that I know as a kid the second I saw that match was going to be at Mania 4 I told everyone I knew there's no way that Demolition's not winning those titles you know and this is in kayfabe I'm just like there's no way Demolition's going to destroy those wimps so and I like them both I mean I love Tito um, but it just was a weak team to me I agree with that, Steve. Uh, Tito's in my top 10 all-time singles wrestlers. And, of course, I love uh, the model Rick Martel as a heel as well. I think he's very underrated. But this team, you know, I loved them as a kid. But now looking back in hindsight, you know, they weren't really together long. They had a they, – uh, Tito joined when Zinc left. They had a great few with the Islanders, great matches there, uh, Haku and Tama. Then, basically, they won the belts from the hearts, had about a five-month title reign, and then that was it. They, they were gone. You know, they broke up. Whatever happened down the line with the turn, but Martel was Tito's gone. a looser. A looser. a looser. Yeah. He was, uh, Martel was gone for about a year. So, uh, yeah, um, you know, just, it's, it's kind of like they, they maybe could have used, kept Tito singles and used the bull, put the Bulldogs have a second reign here and drop them to the demolition at WrestleMania 4. Would have kind of been the same thing, sort of. But I believe it was the plans they had for the Can Am connection to win the belt and everything. Then, you know, whatever happened with Zinc there and they threw Tito in, they just, kind of went with the plans but again i like the match who would who would ever thought looking at this card uh, coming into the boston garden that the conquistadors match would be better than the tag team title match but sure. it certainly was yeah you know people might have been up getting popcorn during that match thinking the bulldogs are just going to run over the conquistadors and end up being a great match i just didn't like how uh this strike force hearts how it ended uh no bad the main event we haven't talked about the main event yet and it's in the middle of the card but the way that ended i think the strike force should have got the pins the pin on the hearts, it wouldn't have hurt them. Maybe roll up Brett, a quick roll up or something. Instead of doing a DQ for the final match, I think the final match should always have a decisive win. Yeah, have, for the have for a, the faces. Have a uh, you know Jimmy Hart interference backfire. You know, in yeah, some way, yeah. have him whack Brett you by know, accident by accident with the megaphone or something. That it, hurt, that hurts nobody. Yeah, like that. It was a mistake to not give this a true finish. I didn't like that either. Yeah, so I, I give it two and a half. All right, we're going to go back now uh, to the beginning. I want to give a shout-out to the history of WWE.com uh, who provided some of the notes that I read tonight and also the information that this match uh, is on not only Best of WWF Volume 20, uh, but also Hulk Hogan, the unreleased archives, uh, which I can see from here on my uh, DVD shelf. I should mention, Dave, that since it is on a Best of WWF Volume 20, if you go to the Greetings from Allentown archives, uh, they covered this at some point. Really? I don't remember it specifically, but that Greetings from Allentown Live was birthed oh, out of them, them doing them all. They yes. did. So it's, it's there somewhere. They uh, did. Yeah, so find that. All I right. don't know if I, if I made it that far in, in the best of you know, renting yeah. them as they came out to 20. I didn't, I don't think. 
I remember renting the early ones in the very beginning, you know, when I first started because my rental store had them. Well, what it was, yeah, besides having them, um, when I first got into it, 86, the tapes that were coming out there, the shit that was on it was like 85 that I never saw before. Right, exactly. So it got it got to a point by this time where I would turn the back of the tape around and I said I saw this shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? So sure. I, I, don't, I don't know how – I wouldn't have seen Hogan Root, of course. We didn't have Nesson. So I don't know how that one slipped by me. All right. Well, Jimmy Hart, Jimmy Hart joins Gorilla at ringside, much to the chagrin of Gorilla. Uh, Hulk comes out to a great pop. He looks awesome. Oh, I should say, I should back up and say that, uh, you know, obviously Rick Rude comes down with Bobby in the robe, and Bobby and him, they work the mic. And Rude tells all the people to, uh, to uh, you know, he does his gimmick there. And Paul and I were watching, and she was really angry that he didn't do the bit right, that he had already taken his robe off. Pissed her it's, off. Yeah, it's early in the run. Still. Yeah, it pissed her he off. Didn't have it down yet. Yeah, but Hogan comes out to a great pop. He looks awesome. Um, uh, Rick is uh, Heenan grabs the mic again and he says that Rick is a national and international arm wrestling champion and he wants Hogan to get down on the mat uh, and challenge Rude. So Hogan kind of waves it off. If that's no kayfabe, that's true. Yeah, a loud, yeah, we yeah, we mentioned that earlier. A loud Hulk chant uh, in the crowd, a power exchange, lots of flexing. Uh, Rude is goading Hulk. Uh, Hulk uh, gets down finally and punks Rude a few times at his own game to a huge pop. Uh, Rude starts working Hulk's arm, and we go into an early rest hold, uh, a wrist lock, which I didn't love. Uh, Hulk finally breaks the hold and suplexes Rude, uh, but he misses an elbow drop. Uh, Bobby gets Hulk to chase him around the ring, and Hulk gets jumped by Rude, who nails him uh, in the head with a wood chair. Uh, Rude uh, drops to the mat and puts Hulk in a headlock for another rest hold, uh, which Hulk eventually breaks at two, and he has a minor Hulk up. Uh, Rude catches Hulk with a low blow and then puts him in a backbreaker, and he thinks he's won. Uh, and he drops Hogan, uh, who never quit, although uh, Jimmy Hart is going on and on that he did. Uh, and Bobby certainly thinks he did. Uh, but Rude, he, he didn't. And Rude goes to the top, and he drops the knuckles on Hulk, who kicks out and hulks up for real this time. Uh, he slams Rude, and he drops the leg for the one, two, three. Uh, Hogan poses it, and the crowd loves it. I'm going to stop there. All right, uh, we'll talk about the match, and then we'll go on to what happened after. Uh, so first, Dave, let's just talk about the match. Um, it was good. Uh, I liked it. I did not think they needed two rest holds. Um, the match is not long enough uh, for a wrist lock and a headlock. And the wrist lock was way too early in the match, and it kind of killed a little bit of the momentum. Uh, and I was really disappointed then that they went into the headlock as well. Uh, yeah, there was never usually too much of that in Hulk House show matches. Yeah, so take one, take one of those out, I think. And you have a little bit better match. But I enjoyed it. We always grade these things uh, relative to uh, Hulk matches. And with that in mind, I'll give it three stars. Now, if I were to include what comes after, I could bump it to 3.5. So the match alone, three. The match with what we're going to talk about in a minute, 3.5. Dave, what are your thoughts on just the match? And then we'll go back to the end shenanigans. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, I love how they did the arm wrestling thing. In 1988, the crowd... Oh, that was gonna, great. Oh, so The crowd's going to eat that shit up. Yep. And Hulk doing that. You expect something like that of Ken Patera against Dino Bravo. 
You know what I mean? Not the main event for the title. Like, you never see the champ do something like this. It's like, you know, he's coming down to Rick's level a little bit. He must have liked Rick in real life. I'll get to that. A lot of people think he didn't. I'll get to that in a moment. But in the way, I'm like, how are they going to do an arm wrestling? There's no table because usually Jesse and Ivan Putski, they'd have the table out there and slam it. But, you know, they just get down on the mat. Like, Hogan doing this in his prime popularity? Like, this is pretty wild. And, um, yeah, that, the crowd, they ate that up. Yeah, the rest holds. You know, I, I didn't notice it as much as you did, but now that you mentioned it, I agree with you. Doing that twice was not a good look. But I still think the match uh, was really, really good. And, you know, this match didn't happen a lot. And having that chair spot with the wooden chair hitting Hulk and wasn't towards the finish. That's not what Hulk hulked up, I don't believe, unless I'm wrong. I think that was more the before the end of the match. He hit him with that chair. But a lot of people say Hulk didn't want to work with Rude and didn't have a program with him after this because he hit him with the edge of that chair and, and, and hit him hard. It did look like Rude was a little pumped up. It looked like he was laying him in a little bit. I think he was just probably excited. This, this is the biggest moment of his career up to this point by far. And the way he... He picked Hulk up for that backbreaker. He threw him up there easy. It shows Rude don't, he looks skinny, you know, cut and skinny. But boy, he threw Hulk up there like a sack of potatoes. And that doesn't that remind you of something? That backbreaker, and he thinks he won, he threw him down. It reminds you of the Hercules Saturday night's main event match with Jesse. I heard him say I quit. Yep, I heard him absolutely. say I quit. Absolutely. I knew yeah. I, yeah, that. I've, and yeah. probably another one or two where they did that gimmick in wrestling in general. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, uh, it looked like Rude was was there was another point where Hulk was dro- dropping those where he drops those three elbows in a row. He was dropping one. He was about to he, he was Rude was supposed to roll out of the way, and you see Rude doesn't roll out of the way in time, and Hogan knocks his head on the back of Rude's body, and it looks like Hulk's neck get neck gets jarred. So a lot of people have picked this match apart and say a couple of these things: the chair, his head hitting on the elbow drop, is why they never continued the uh, the angle or or, or the the house show run. But why they didn't continue it is because Hulk loses the title four weeks from, from, from now. Then is, you know, after WrestleMania four is gone, there's no more heel of the month right, for quite timing. a while. It's just the timing. It's timing. It's timing. It, it, for Hulk to get down, you know, do the arm wrestling with him, it didn't look like there was, you know, who knows? I mean, I, I could be wrong, but in my opinion, it doesn't look like there's any heat there. It did look like he did jar his head on him with the, uh, the elbow miss and then the spot with the chair. Who knows? But um, I thought the match was, I thought it was a really good match. And I'm ha- happy Hulk got the pin. WWF fans looking at, looking at this match at the time might think, oh, Hulk's going to run this skinny guy, skinny guy down. But Hulk gave him a lot. Rude had a lot of offense here. And uh, even on a scale of Hulk matches, I'd give this a solid three and a half. That okay. was a great match. Yeah. All right. Really. What did you give it? I, 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 I gave it three said. for just the match. Three and a okay. half for the match plus the end. So this okay. is what happens at the end. Virgil grabs Hulk. Virgil and DiBiase come out while Hulk is posing. And Virgil grabs Hulk from behind. And then DiBiase nails him. Um, Hulk uh, breaks it and takes Virgil to the corner. And then Tag comes from behind and nails him with the belt. Hulk goes down and does a blade job. Uh, and uh, Ted uh, drops money on Hulk and leaves him laying in the ring to booze. So a really nice piece of business here. You mentioned earlier um, that DiBiase is the number one heel uh, in the um, in the company right now, and this is why. And it had recently been on Superstars uh, that Hulk had turned down uh, the offer um, to buy the title, and that's why. Hell no. And that's why um, they mentioned it in commentary a couple of times. I think Bobby says 
uh, you know, we knew that Hulk, I didn't know Hulk was so stupid or something like that. Um, he has some way to mention it. So they do mention it. But yeah, really good piece of business to finish up. Um, I don't know what the card is for February. I probably should have looked it up. I got it. Um, but what did they return with? They returned with, this is a big one, man. So you're seeing, like Steve said, you're seeing DiBiase lay out Hulk. I just want to say about the moment, what I like, you think Hulk's doing his pose in Real American. You think DiBiase is going to lay him out right away when Virgil gets him. I love how Hulk fought it off for a bit. He beat, you know, he got out of Virgil's full Nelson and whatnot, but then finally DiBiase does get him. But I love how the champ fought it off. But the reason why they're doing that, they're coming back in one month, February 6th. But what was the night before that? The night before February 6th is February 5th. In 1988, that means something because that's the night, the four year and two week title reign of Hulk Hogan came to the end on NBC on the main event with Andre the Giant and Ted DiBiase stealing the title from Hulk Hogan. So on this show, DiBiase comes down to the ring with Andre as a tag team to take on the team of Hulk Hogan and Bam Bam Bigelow. And Mel Phillips, the ring announcer, announces Ted DiBiase as a World Wrestling Federation champion. And DiBiase is wearing the belt. Isn't that something? That's awesome. That's really awesome. Really cool. Good times, yeah. man. Really cool. Really, and we will be really fun We card. will be covering that main event uh, with Hogan and Andre. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We will definitely. That's going to be a big show right here. I can't wait for that one. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, we still got a little bit to do, Dave. Uh, we have to uh, read some emails. We have to do some plugs. We have to announce what we're going to do next show. And we're going to do all that next uh, but not just Dave and I. We're going to be joined by the lovely uh, and talented Paula Bennett. Paula Mania. I am a real American. Fight for the rights of every man. I am a real American. Fight for what's right. Fight for your life. I do have some plugs, baby. Thanks for welcoming us back. The end of episode 16. I can't believe it. Dave Rollins, Steve Bennett, Paula Bennett. Don't forget to check out the first 15 episodes of the 24-inch podcast on our SoundCloud page. It's soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. You can also find us on Twitter. We're at the number two, the number four-inch podcast, two four-inch podcast. Also, you can email us the same thing, the number two, the number four, the word inch, the word podcast, two four inch podcast at gmail.com. Uh, please join us on Facebook. We're building a really nice community over there with some really great people talking about Hulk Hogan, sharing memes, talking about episodes. And uh, that's easy to find on Facebook by just by just Googling uh, 24 inch podcast or excuse me, searching on Facebook for 24 inch podcast. Dave runs a great Instagram feed. Check that out. It's the number two, the number four, underscore inch, 
underscore podcast. And you can find us on Instagram. Couple other plugs today. Don't forget about the Sportscasters podcast uh, at Sports underscore Casters. Really been kicking ass, for lack of a better term, over there. Um, have some great debuts, including a guy named Brian Raftery, who has a podcast out about Siskel and Ebert. So if you're a fan of the two greatest movie reviewers of all time, he's got a whole podcast series in episode three was released today on Ringer. Did an interview with him. Also talked to Kenny Albert, uh, who called his first ever Stanley Cup on network television this year. Uh, Props out to my boy, Kenny. We also talked about the retirement of his father, Marv Albert, who finished out a 50-year Mount Rushmore-like career. Coming up, Jeff Passan, Lee Montville, uh, Aaron Schatz, uh, Jeff Passan, some great guests coming up. Uh, Also, we'll preview football with college football with Stuart Mandel, uh, Saints football with Nick Underhill, who's going to make his debut on the show. Uh, it's going to be a great August uh, and a great fall of the sportscasters. For all the information, it's at two four, or excuse me, at sports underscore casters, and uh, you can find the episodes. They're all together. The sister and brother podcasts, 24-inch podcast, and the sportscasters. SoundCloud.com slash sports-casters. Don't forget to check out our friend Peter Winston and the greetings from Allentown Podcast at GF Allentown Pod on Twitter. It's a bi-weekly podcast now every other Thursday, uh, but still weekly is his show with Keithy. Greetings from Allentown Live. Uh, they did a Superstars episode, or was it a challenge episode? Uh, one I of the, believe it was a challenge Was episode, it a challenge, January yeah. January of um, 88. 88, that's right. Exactly where we are. Uh, on the yeah, calendar. January of 88. How about that? I didn't even yeah. put those two things together. Uh, so check out our oh. friends over there on greeting from, Greetings from Allentown. I also wanted to mention an Instagram and YouTube page called Rush Fans. If you're a fan of the band Rush, uh, you can find them on Instagram at Rush Fans. And um, if you just search on YouTube, Rush Fans, two videos uh, that they have posting on their on their uh, YouTube channel will feature myself. Uh, there's a series called Rush Roots, uh, which comes out, I believe, on Monday. You'll hear my Rush Roots, how I became a fan of Rush. And then also on Friday, uh, they're going to be releasing a video called The Round Table, and we discuss uh, the most valuable and least valuable song on each Rush album. Uh, there's a six-person panel. We spun a wheel. And, for example, let's say I got Counterparts. And I'd say the most valuable song on Counterparts is Animate. And then I'd say the least valuable song is Stick It Out. And then there'd be a little discussion and they'd go on to the next guy. So This sounds like a great listen, Steve. Did yeah. you know, because we'll probably never bring this up again, Yeah. the uh, closing credits on Royal Rumble 92 is an instrumental Rush song from Roll the Bones. Uh, Where's my thing? Where's my Where's thing? Where's my thing? Yep. Yeah, how about that? Weird, right? Isn't yeah, that it's strange? awesome. It's, it's so cool. Song. I think it's... I think it's still on the network or on Peacock. I could be wrong there. What's I up, Paula? It's, it's um, holding its ground. The guy did Tell cut him. me out. Tell him what happened. So what happened was the guy cut me out when he was, when Daddy was telling about me and he cut it out. Yeah, Paula's, Paula's pissed because we got a preview of the Rush Roots video. And at the end of it, I was talking about how I had a daughter, five years old, and she did the the 24 inch podcast with me and he cut a lot of that out 
and you can Whoa. see you can see in the video where the cut is. Thank God, because I had been telling Paula all day, "Oh, you got to see this." I mentioned you, I talk about you, and you do in the podcast with me. And the guy cut it out, and Paula is pissed, right, babe? He gave you the old yeah, Joey Gladstone. Yeah. Asking about it. And they said, Where's the Paula? Exactly. Exactly. And uh so on the on the last one that I recorded, the round table, which is actually gonna go up first, I kept just mentioning the name Paula just randomly. I would insert it. Um we, Paula, ca- <laughs> we would have to call this guy up and cut a promo on him. What do you think? Yeah. Pokemania style. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh I am I think that's it for plugs today. Uh, so we can uh, switch to emails. Paula, you're up first, baby. You got an email from my wife, Tammy, and your mommy. What does she say? What is she wondering? I forgot what to say. Wasn't she wondering about two ladies of wrestling and how they dress? What was that one? Um, you got that one? Can you read that one? Yes. Okay, what is it? Is it number high? Yeah. Cindy Wapper or Elizabeth. Who dresses better? Yes. Who's a better dresser, Dave? We'll let Dave start off on this one. Who's a better rest- dresser? The lovely Miss Elizabeth and her elegance and grace, her beautiful dresses and her jewelry, or the more punk rock kind of crazy rags almost of Cindy Lauper? What do you got, Dave? Well, brother, I got to I gotta definitely go with Miss Elizabeth. No offense to Cindy Lauper there, but I'm more, you know, the regular looking woman type not that once in a while we can't get a little freaky it's okay you know sure yeah night here and there right. but you know for the long run dude you know what i mean the long thing a wife wife material whatever you want him dressing like liz just my opinion yeah i mean if i'm gonna take you behind the sears one saturday night the cindy lopper outfit's fine but if you're if i'm bringing you home to to my nana you know uh, to my mom or to my dad, you know, you got to dress like Elizabeth. So I'm going to Elizabeth. When yeah, and you're gonna spend you're gonna spend more time with your non and mom and dad than behind us. Uh, exactly. Robot, you know what I'm exactly. Saying, so. What do you think, baby? Cindy Lauper. You like Cindy? Whoa. <laughs> why? Why? Why do you like her outfits better? Well, because she's a kind of walking royal girl like me, and that she wears walking royal clothes. And okay. I just like it. Good answer. Good it is very rock and roll. I rock do like it, it, too. Rock and roll clothes. Dave, you got a question that came in on text message, right? We got a couple of them, man. Um, right, give me Anthony one. Bagato. Give me one. Yeah. It's a big guy. You got a couple of really good ones. Uh, the women in the crowd for Ravishing Rick Rude uh, that they set up for him to kiss. Was that set up or not? I said, that's a great question, Anthony, and I'll answer it for you right now. Yes, it was set up. Uh, Bruce Pritchard would go out into the crowd. And just pick a random, you know, decent-looking girl. Because we know these weren't all beautiful women. They were, like, mid. You know, they're regular girls. That's how you could tell it wasn't It wasn't a setup. And, they, you know, he would say to them, do you want to be on TV? That would be his first question. And, of course, they said, yes, yes, yes. And he had him sign a waiver. I don't know if the whole – Rude was shoved the tongue right down the mouth. Imagine being – I'm sure these girls weren't all there single. Well, I have, a little be- bit, I have a little bit more to add. So – yeah. You are right that most of the time Pritchard would go out into the crowd to um, ask a regular girl. They would usually pay him around 25 50 bucks, maybe. Sometimes just a T-shirt, some merch. Uh, but sometimes when they wanted to get a little bit riskier and do a little bit more, they would hire 
uh, a working girl from the town, not on the corner, but at the club. You know, so know they might go to one of the clubs and get one of the girls from the club to uh, to come down, and they might pay her a hundred dollars or so, and then Rick would have a little bit more leeway. It's a little bit risky. Yeah, imagine imagine if you're like one of the, for one of the regular girls, if you're like one of the husbands, like you might you might not even realize this is on TV that you're at a taping or whatever. You know, then the next couple of weeks later, you turn on Channel Five on a Saturday morning, and there's your wife making out with ravishing Rick Rude for the whole world to see. I wanted to mention, Dave, that on the Facebook group, the uh, 24-inch podcast Facebook group, you can find it, sign into Facebook, and in search, just put the number two, the number four, the word inch, and the word podcast, and you can request to join if you aren't already. Uh, we usually try to post every week uh, the um, the show. We, we post the link, and uh, we get some thoughts, and we have some comments, and I wanted to read a couple from a friend of mine named Randy Krupski. Uh, Randy is a good kid. He's my brother Greg's age. Uh, he played a lot of roller hockey with my brother Greg growing up. A really fantastic player. A really great player. I always loved this kid. Always loved the way he played. And I'm really proud of him. He's grown up to be a great dad, a good hockey coach. Uh, so shout out to Randy. He wrote, uh, good fun. When I first listened to the clip, already knowing the outcome, Bobby's comments stuck out as odd. He's speaking of Bobby Heenan saying, whose side is he on? Which we talked about last week, yeah. But that's because I already knew what happened. Wish I could remember the moment more clearly. And I asked Randy, who would have been 10 around them, you know, which show did he watch more? And he said, I was definitely more of a WWF guy. Still flipped channels during Monday night, of course, but I was a big Brett fan. But once NWO came around, both really had my full attention. WCW introduced me to my favorite of all time, Chris Jericho. So shout out to uh, Randy Krupski. Um, hopefully he's got a new daughter. Uh, hopefully she's doing great, Randy, and your son too. Uh, hopefully I see you soon in the Buffalo area. But uh, Dave, this was a fantastic, fantastic roller hockey player. A nice smooth skating defenseman with some good offensive skills. So shouts out to Randy. Randy the Ram, we love you. All right, Paula's still trying to figure out what's going on with her feet. So, Dave, you want to read a second one before we get to her next one? Okay, we'll stick with Anthony Pagano because he threw out a few at us, a few at me today. Uh, did Ravishing Recruit ever see or care about his LJN figure? Uh, I know why Anthony. Go ahead, Dave. Go ahead. I know why. I know why you're asking me this, Anthony, because the way uh, Ravishing Recruit's LJN figure came with his hands down, his like thumbs in his tights, and. You couldn't play with him. You couldn't do any moves. You couldn't do the root awakening, yeah, etc. It was the worst LJN, maybe. Yeah. One of the worst. I don't know if I don't know I think the worst. Yeah. I I don't know if he would care about it. He would care about the money he would make from it. Because Hillbilly Jim has said it. Iron Sheik has Sheik, said it. Yes. Valentine has said it. Yeah. How much they would make at the end of the year from these figures. Four However, checks a year, quarterly they would come. And the Iron Sheik said he got an eighty thousand dollar quarterly check for his figures in nineteen eighty five. Amazing. You know, However, so those money. Those guys are the early figures. This is the very last line that was not available in the United States. So I don't think they cared cared as much this time. They cared, but not as much. They were available for a short time in Canada, and you could order them uh, on you know not online. I'm sorry, <laughs> you could order them through the mail as we all did from the wrestling ring in Baltimore. Uh, I'm sure they got some money out of it, but nothing like you know Hulk Sheik. Hillbilly, you know, Nikolai, those guys, when the, uh, the early figures came out. So, no, I don't think he probably cared to, uh, that much about it, in my opinion. All right, Paula, I know you got another one from Mom. Do you mind if I read it for you? Yeah. 
All right, because I know you, you had two from from mom come in. The first one was a good one about Cindy Lauper. And since we're talking about figures, Dave, uh, you mentioned the Rick uh, Anthony Pagano mentioned the Rick Rude figure. Tammy was wondering how many action wrestling action figures do you own, and is there any wrestler you are missing that you wish you had? Now, the first thing I'd say about this, Paul, is she should know exactly how many you have because she's the one who's cleaning them up off the floor all the time, right? Hey, Tammy, why don't you count those things when you're cleaning them up after Paula and I are done playing with them? Right, baby? Yeah! Tell her. <laughs> Cut that thing and we already playing with them. Yeah, come on, Tammy. <laughs> what about the other part of that question, babe? Okay. Well, first, how many do you think you give? Now, let's give a shout-out to our... Our friend that we're thinking about all the time, Calvin, who sent us a big box of those. But how many wrestlers do you think we got? I think 1,800. 1,800. That's probably accurate. And who's it's a good shot, too. And who's the wrestler you think you would want the most that we don't have? Um, Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant. Here's why we don't have an Andre the Giant. We've had a couple opportunities to get the LJN, but Paula doesn't like the LJNs as much as the Hasbros. Because they're so big. Um, and for a little sweetheart like Paula, she prefers the size of the Hasbros. And we haven't seen an Andre Hasbro. We haven't had a chance to buy one of those yet. So if anyone has an Andre Hasbro and they want to send it to Paula, you know, we'd be glad to take it. But um, Andre would be your number one, baby. All right, Dave, what about you? What's your what's the status of your collection? Okay, well, I have all the uh, every LJN. I have every Hasbro. I only care about those two lines. So I'm only talking about that. After that, I don't, I don't give a crap about right. any of the other wrestling figures. Uh, since I have them all, I would like to extend my M mint on card. I only have about 30 mint on card of the LGN. I'd like to extend that someday if I ever get back into it. And one thing I'd like to have is the pro painted prototypes of Killer Khan and Sergeant Slaughter, which were, were oh, never yeah. released. That would be really cool. Yes, sir. Good questions. All right, Dave, what's, uh, what's next from the text messages? Okay, I think we still got one more from uh, Anthony here. He's shooting them out. Uh, I'm pretty sure Ravishing Rick was never a face, if not why. And if he was a face, who were some of his top feuds he would have? Um, I think I could be wrong. I think he, when he started off in the territory for a very brief period of time, he, he was a face before turning heel in Memphis or whatever. But, uh, you know, in the big stage, in the big stage, that would be hard, very hard to do with his gimmick. The kind of gimmick he had, like I said last week, when they turned Shawn Michaels' face as the pretty boy prancing around, I just don't think that works. However, I did see once uh, after school, we used to get IWCCW here in New Jersey. It was an uh, independent federation from, from Boston. And when Rick Rude and the Honky Tonk Man uh, first both left the WWF late 1990, so this was probably 1991, they were trying to get something going with them in IWCCW, and believe it or not, Rick Rude was the face. I don't think anything ever, nothing ever came of that, and uh, I believe he was also somewhat of an in-betweener face in ECW when he was messing with Shane, the franchise Shane Douglas and Francine, so you got to think about it, so there's little, little points here and there where he was kind of a face, but uh, that is such a strong heel character. Uh, I don't think it would work, but guy, if they did turn him face in the WWF, uh, maybe a few with the model Rick Martel, because kind of similar of the good-looking guys. That's off the top of my head, something like that. Or, or obviously he would have turned on Heenan, so he probably been working with Haku and 
you know, barbarian. Hercules, maybe. Yeah, Her- yeah, yeah, stuff like that. Uh, I, I think that Rick Rude is to heels as Ricky Steamboat is to faces. You know, I exactly. think I think it's just too 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 sweet to do it. Uh, Dave, I have a uh, Twitter question, which is actually about last week's episode, but I wanted to read it because it's one of our OGs that's been with us almost from the very beginning. Uh, it's at Champs Papa ten fifteen on Twitter. A really on me. a really big Lakers and uh, Dodgers fan um, out in Los Angeles, Echo Park, Los Angeles. City of Angels. Shout out to Champs Papa and our buddy Tim, who's out there as well. Whoa, uh, he's got a question coming up, too. Yep. He's next. All right, well, I'll save him then. I got a <laughs> c- couple comments for Tim. Uh, but All first, right. uh, Champs Papa, 1015, wants to know, could anyone else have filled that role as the third man in the NWO? Would anyone else have uh, shotted the popularity of the NWO? Hot-shotted, I'm sorry. Would anyone else have hot-shotted the popularity of the NWO? So... The answer to that part is no. Uh, nobody else would have hot-shotted it to the level Hogan does. They have the greatest of all time turning heel. Nothing's going to beat that. Could other people have filled the role? Sure. I think you know you could have done it with a couple other guys. Maybe Sting turning on WCW uh, could have worked. Dave, you know better than me. You were more involved in the day-to-the-day of the pro- promotion. Um, I know Mabel was kind of a free agent at the time. He was rumored by Meltzer kind of famously. What do you think about this one from Champs Pop at ten fifteen? Yeah, Champs Pop. We, we, you know, we, we mentioned last week the guys we thought were rumored, but to answer your question, uh, the ones that may may have worked, obviously not to the level of, of Hogan, but may have worked definitely would be Bret Hart. You know, huge star. It had to, it would have to be somebody from the WWF. So not Sting. So Bret would definitely work. And how about Shawn Michaels showing up with the WWF title to join his buddies Hall and Nash? I mean, that would be another home run, but, you know, wouldn't have that lasting effect of Hulk Hogan turning heel. So, uh, Sean was not possible, but I'm just saying if there was someone that could have that sure, impact, sure. it would be Sean or Brett. Sure. Okay, Paul, you want to do one more? Yeah. I got one more good one for you from Tammy, but I need you on mic with headphones on, focused. I need you dialed in. Paul's a little distracted because someone in our neighborhood thinks it's the 4th of July. Oh. And he's blowing fireworks off, and he's got her a little rattled. So she's a little bit off her do- game. We got to focus and her. I, I, the dogs don't like that either. And what? And these fireworks are a little bit too loud. Didn't want the icy, so I'm a little bit scared. Yeah, she's a little bit scared. But she, I tell her all the time, when Daddy's around, she don't need to be scared. All right, this one's from Tammy. Uh, she wants to know, Paul, are you excited to watch The Rock's new movie, Jungle Cruise? Yes. Because we saw the thing, how the Jungle Cruise is, and they said, with some locks. <laughs> Let me ask you this, Paula. What's your favorite movie so far with a wrestler in it? I think The Nanny. Mr. Nanny? <laughs> yeah. All right. Good choice. Because he had to wear a tutu. <laughs> yeah, Paula loves the part <laughs> when Hulk's in the tutu. Lovely to see you. Dave, are you going to go see The Jungle Cruise? Do you watch any rock movies? And what is your favorite movie with a wrestler in it? Uh, sorry, Dwayne. I'm um, not into any of those any of his movies. There's nothing to do with him. I'm just not really into his style of movie. Okay. Uh, the last last movie I saw him was The Tooth Fairy. I, I did like that. Like, it's a cu- cutesy little movie, but whatever. That's the last movie I saw. A favorite movie with a wrestler is The Wrestler, but it doesn't really have a big wrestling star in it. Right. So we could scratch that out, and then my next favorite would be They Live with Hot Rod. Okay. Kind of what's going on in the world today, brother. 
I think take my, a look at that movie. I think my favorite is Body Slam uh, with Dirk Benedict. Um, Piper's in that one as well. Yeah, it's Hunger Kid. Yeah, so that would be my that'd be my pick. All right, Dave, what else you got, buddy? We're Paul and I are tapped. We just got to get through Dave's now. Okay, we got the amazing Tim Mangione, who we just spoke of out in Southern California, checking in. Tim, uh, Tim, Tim, I love all the pictures, you know, of this and that. You know, here's me in front of the super bad cafeteria. You know, this is where this happened, that happened. But I'm waiting for golf and stuff. I mean, Paul and I, we want to see golf and stuff. We don't want any think- more excuses. We don't want to see any more pictures of the Brentwood estate or anything else from OJ. We want golf and stuff. We've had. How about it. this? He's, he he says it's a little far. He says it's a little far. We'll send you the money for the Uber. Sure. Whatever it costs. Yeah, we'll pay the Uber. We'll chip in. Yeah, hell yeah. We'll chip in. I yep. hope he's not listening to this. All right, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll send you the money for the Uber for being such a good friend of the show. Right. Twenty-five dollar uh, anyway, maximum. <laughs> he also got a great. Uh, he's got a great question here. Okay. Uh, while you guys, Steve and Dave, sorry, Paul, it's a little before your time, but you could answer too. Uh, when you, because I'm sure you've watched it with your dad. When you guys were watching WrestleMania four as little kids live, after Hogan and Andre both got disqualified, wh- who did you think was going to win after that point? Well, how are you feeling? Okay, uh, you guys want to go first? Yeah, I'll be straight up honest. I thought it was going to be DiBiase. Yes, sir. That's who I thought. I I remember when Hulk and Andre went out, talking to my friend. I was at my friend Don's house, who his family had the cheater box. And we had a nice little viewing party over there. And I said, Don, DiBiase's going to get his wish. He, he he got Hulk and Andre out, you know, and it's going to – it's just – it's working out for him. It's just – it's paving his way. So that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. I was with Anthony Pagano, who we just spoke of, in Bayonne, New Jersey, his father, and with a bunch of friends, adults. But nobody knew that Hulk was leaving. We didn't know he was going to be make no holds barred uh, back this far. So we thought, okay, I guess DiBiase, the mood in the room also died down after the Hulk match. And uh, I guess DiBiase is going to win it and Hulk's going to kick his butt at Madison Square Garden or, you know, somewhere down the line. I guess that was kind of the uh, the idea in the room. But then once we saw Liz come back out with Hulk, uh, you know, with the DiBiase-Savage match, then I think we all started, you know, thinking Savage, who we were obviously were cheering for at the time. Great question. Yeah, really good. What else you got, Dave? Uh, and, of course, we'll do one last one from the immortal Kevin Hogan, our biggest fan. If I can find it here, I got What's it. What's up, Kevin? Uh, How you doing, buddy? Kevin says, what else? Here's a question for the podcast. I was surprised to learn a couple of podcasts ago that the two of you, meaning Steve and Dave, had never actually met in person. Now that COVID yeah. restrictions seem to, seem to be relaxing, what are the chances of a pop-up podcast at a Raw slash SmackDown taping or a house show? Uh, we'll go first, and I'll throw it over to Steve. First of all, brother, it'll never happen at a Raw slash SmackDown house show. Maybe at a rock and roll concert or, or you know, a dive bar down the street in Buffalo, New York. Uh, but no, uh, you know, we haven't had a chance. I think it's just like the regular regularness of life. If we were in our twenties doing this, we probably would have hung out three or four times by now. But uh, it's, you know, it's just one of those things uh, we haven't gotten around to it for for having to be responsible adults. But I think. I'm going to throw it over to Steve. He's got something going on uh, with his brother that may bring himself to New Jersey soon. Yeah, my brother my brother works and I guess essentially lives in Alpine, New Jersey. Uh, he works for a billionaire and stays in one of the four mansions that the guy owns in the same property, essentially. 
He bought one house and then just kept buying the ones around to create more of an estate. And my brother lives in one of them there. And um, basically, I would have been there by now, but the property itself became a COVID bubble. So no one was allowed on the property except for certain people. And I think he's right that COVID has been the culprit. I don't see us ever doing this show the way he described, but I absolutely yeah yeah that that part. When yeah, I, I come to Jersey, and I will be in Jersey. I mean, I I will be there in September for Pearl Jam, if not earlier. Um, I would love to bring my stuff and maybe record at least a segment. You know, maybe we don't do the whole thing, but maybe we do like this segment in person or something. So That'd be cool. Yeah, I think we would love to do that for sure. But uh, Tim was actually it's funny. Kevin asked this question. I just got the question today. And Tim was texting me last night that he wants to come. And when he comes, we should try to find a way to see Steve Bennett, even if we had to meet halfway or something. So oh, yeah. This is, the big t- yeah. this is the big talk right now. Yeah, I'm all for all that kind of stuff. I think, you know, I think it's like everything else is just on hold because, you know, can you get in? Can you go out of state when you come back? Do you have to quarantine? You know, is there this? Is there that? Um, so. All right. Hold on, Paula. You got to get in. We're going to finish up the show right now. I need you to I need you to help me sign out, okay, baby? All right. So I want to thank everyone who emailed. Uh, I want to thank everyone who listened to the show today. Uh, Dave, real quickly, on the next podcast, it's SummerSlam season, brother. And I know we got the two SummerSlams picked out. Dave, you make the call. Which SummerSlam is going to be episode 17? Well, we got, if we're starting SummerSlam, we got to start from where it all started. The Big Apple, New York City, Madison Square Garden. It's the Mega Powers. It's the Mega Bucks. It's Jesse the Referee Ventura. It's Gorilla Monsoon. It's Brother, 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 Superstar Billy Graham. And it's SummerSlam 1988. On the next 24-inch podcast. In the meantime, though, I need one last favor from all the listeners out there. I need you to say your prayers, eat your vitamins, and tell your friends about Gorilla Monsoon, brother. Butter, 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 dance.